this week on Invasion of the Podcast, the holidays are going to be wonderful. Amazon Prime's Truth Seekers will make you want to believe in the power of ghosts and really good Wi-Fi. And I take Steve to a bowl game. We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. The arrival of a spaceship. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. People of the attention. It's the invasion of the podcast. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? And welcome to Invasion of the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. My name is Paul, and uh, what's this? My my uh, my Steve detector is picking up a Steve somewhere out there. One, one, <laughs> five, one. You guys will get that if you watch Truth Seekers, but trust me, it's hilarious. Yeah, uh, the the joke is hilarious, uh, and we'll be talking about the Amazon Prime series Truth Seekers, um, which you know, right up front, it's it's eight episodes, but they're pretty breezy eight episodes. So if you guys have not checked it out yet, there will be spoilers. Uh, we'll talk more about it in a little bit, but it was a nice, um, it's kind of like a ni- nice palate cleanse to everything going on right now. I'll just say that. I'll say too, yeah, it is a breezy watch because I, even though we discussed it prior to last week. Uh, you know, you'd mentioned you're like, well, it's eight episodes and, you know, it looks like it's about four hours, but in my head, it's still like, you think like eight episodes sounds like a lot, but like you, you will fly through them pretty quickly. Yeah. Considering so, like the longest one's like 33 minutes. Like that's other yeah. thing too. Like, like with the streaming stuff, it's like, well, this episode's only 26 minutes. This one's seven hours. Like, I don't understand <laughs> how that happens sometimes, but it does. Right. So, uh, yeah, we'll be talking about that. It's our main topic. Um, I have a game for Steve. He knows nothing about it. Um, so the less, the less I say about the better, um, it, you know, it could be sports related. It may not be, I don't know, but Steve doesn't know. So I think that's going to be fun. Um, to be fair, there are lots of things I know nothing about. So. Me too. Like that's, you know, the older I get, the more I realize that like, um, I have like, I have this, this broken chest full of like random Marvel knowledge and a bunch of world of Warcraft history that does not matter to anybody, but me and cat memes. That's all it's in my <laughs> head now. And that's about it. Like, I'll tell you, like I, um, growing up where I did, we only had one high school for the County. And if I looked at a yearbook, I'd be like, yeah, I remember these people. But the moment I closed that book, like I can't like there, a lot of that's been erased with like. Uh, Dark Hawk, Stingray, uh, Cardiac, you know, yeah. I can have cheeseburger. Yeah, I can have cheeseburger, Business Cat, you know, like it's just, yeah, that's where we're at with that. So, yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, so the, the, talk about the weekend stuff. I got to ask you a question right up front. I know you posted this last Saturday and I did get your opinion about this, but I want a little bit more knowledge about it. Uh, this has been something we've not talked about on the show specifically, but a couple of weeks ago I had a, uh, a yingling beer that was, uh, that was Hershey's like, um, like a mix up, what not mix up, but like a partnership with Hershey's chocolate. And it's a chocolate beer, which a lot of chocolate beers don't always taste chocolatey. They just taste like dark. You, you had it. And I know you don't always wander out into, um, other things beer wise. So report back. <laughs> So I did realize this, uh, that I should have saved 
trying it for the show. But it was such a triumph finally finding it <laughs> that I had to have it once I found it. Um, and I like the idea that you you, you said it was, uh, like initially you said mix-up and then you said uh, instead of uh, partnership. But I like the idea of like somebody from uh, Yingling and somebody from Hershey's were like on a tour somewhere. And they like bumped into each other, and like the Hershey guy dropped his, his you know Hershey bar into the guy's <laughs> beer, and they're like, "You got your beer and my Hershey's," and he's like, "You got my your Hershey's and my beer," and then they looked at each other, and then a beautiful partnership was born. And then somehow I Hershey's put out beer flavored like chocolate bars, and that did not go so well. <laughs> so yeah, I I uh, I really enjoy it. It's I will say that it's. And I, I, I have a hell of a sweet tooth. Like, uh, we just placed an order for groceries, and we're probably not doing a grocery order next week. So, like, I loaded up, and I was like, oh, little, little Debbie Christmas trees. Of course I need those. Oh, they're, <laughs> they're on sale? Yes, get two boxes of them. So I I am very much uh, the, uh, the sweet tooth. Uh, so I will say that. Well, it does taste very much like a chocolate bar. It does have a little bit of a beer aftertaste to it. it it's, I mean, it's a beer. It's going to. Um, it's quite good. I don't know that I could. I think I've had two. At I think I think two is the most that I've had. It's just too heavy. Like I have to. Have that's fair. Something no, else. Like I, I couldn't like knock out a six pack. We'll I mean, I could, way. but that's that's my problem. But I just it like it tastes like I don't know how they were able to mix like beer and like Hershey's chocolate syrup. Like it tastes it tastes like that. And like I said, not all chocolate beers to me taste chocolatey. So <laughs> like when I had that, I was like, this is amazing to me. Now I'm picturing like a kid. Uh, oh God, no like, mixing it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he's got a he's got a, a bottle of beer and he's got a a, a thing of of Hershey's syrup and he's just mixing it. And he like ran into his dad and he's like, dad, look what I did. He's like, dad's like, son, you're a genius. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, they, these are all these, uh, untold uh, sto- stories of heroism, you know, uh, but it's all I me mean, considering that, uh, Yingling and, and Hershey's are both Pennsylvania based companies. I guess, I guess it's not surprising that they would find ways to have some synergy there. Right. So I'm hoping for other, I'm hoping for other things, you know, I don't know what other candy bars would be good, like a good as a beer, um, I think, you know, I know like if there was like a peanut butter cup beer, which I know that there are peanut butter beers out there, but like if something could taste like a peanut butter cup, like a Reese's, like I think I would just die out of happiness. So here, here's what I'll say on that topic real quick. I almost bought a peanut butter. It was supposed to, it because they can't say Reese's obviously, but it was like, you know, peanut butter cup you know, Porter or whatever. And I don't remember what the brand was, but I almost bought it in lieu of this because I went to the liquor store that you had recommended. And like, I walk in and there's just like a sea of beers. I mean, literally like the aisles are just like rows of like Christmas ales and all types of different things. I'm like, well, I'm like, if it's here, it's, if, if there's anywhere it is, it's gotta be here. Cause I've, I've looked all over where I live. I live in Elyria. I had to go to Lakewood, which is where you recommended. Yeah, you're talking and, about the Simone's, right? Because that place, mm-hmm. like, I not not to go sidetrack here, but hey, it's what we do here on the show. Like, there's places that are like they have like beers and things, and it's like, oh, it's quite nice. They seem to really kind of know their shit. Like, they have a lot of different things. It's crazy the amount of stuff that they have. Like, I. I I lived in Lakewood. God, it's almost been twenty years ago now. But 
I lived very close to that Simone, so I've been in there before. That's why when you mentioned, I'm like, oh, the one in Lakewood? And you're like, yeah. Um, I walked in there, and I'm just like, it's a sea of beers. And I, I went in there on a Friday night, and I was not a good choice because everybody's in there. Yeah. But um, I'm looking all over for it. I'm trying to find it. I can't find it. And then I saw the peanut butter porter, and I'm like, well, maybe, maybe I'll just have to settle for this and try it. But as I was walking away, I noticed in the middle of, like, all the Christmas sales, there was, like, a depleted area <laughs> where there was maybe, like, a case of the chocolate porter left. And I grabbed two twelve or two six-packs. Nice. So I was like, well, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to see this again, or when I do, it's probably going to be a while, so... I'm just going to grab both of them in case I like it. Cause my, the back of my head, I was like, well, if I don't like it, I'll just give you the other six pack. Okay. So I expect that still delivered. Un- no, unfortunately a- I liked it. Oh so. no, no, uh, <laughs> no. When I was there and I, um, I, I had made my selection cause there's another, like not <laughs> another beer that I liked that I was drinking last week and it caught up to me pretty quickly during the show. Uh, it's a uh, thunder snow, which is from uh, mad tree brewery down Cincinnati. Uh, and it's wonderful. And I grabbed two, six packs of that and I turned around and saw like the box of, the Hershey stuff. And I'm like, ah, I've already made my decision for one seasonal beer. So I'm glad that you, you tried it and you liked it. So that's good. Yeah. It's, it's rare. I'm, I'm somebody who, who sticks to his light beer and doesn't really like to venture out. So I was, I was really happy with it. Uh, I mean, the craziest I've gotten was, was getting, you know, Lone Star to watch Joe Bob. And I was like, Oh, that's not too bad. And it's like, well, it's, it's just a Pilsner pal. It's not, <laughs> nothing fancy. Right. But uh, I, I wanted to make a quick mention of this. Uh, the reason I was over in that area was, yes, I was planning to make a stop at Simone's, but I, I went to uh, Carol and John's Comics and uh, uh, went and uh, picked up some comics and, and perused. It's the second time I've been in there this year, which is very uncommon to be this yeah. far into a year and be like, I've only been to the comic shop twice. But um, I know that there are some now changing rules that are coming into play. Hopefully Carol and John's aren't affected too much by it. I, I think we are headed for another shutdown, but, um, and I know we have listeners all over, but, uh, I just want to say this real quick. You know, if you guys have a business that you like a local business, please go out and support it. And even if you can't go out and support it, either tell people about it or make a donation. Yeah. Um, I, when the first lockdown happened, bought a gift card to Carolyn John's and I just don't plan on using it. I'm just going to let them keep that money. Cause I just, uh, it's a business that I love. It's a place that I, you know, will actively go to once this, it's all over. So I want to see them survive. And, um, yeah, obviously you guys all know how COVID works at this point. So, you know, do we, do we all, all know probably, how it works? Do we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you're probably we, tired of hearing the reminders, we, but I'm just saying if there's a, if there's a local business that you love, please go out and support them. So, yeah. All right. So, um, yeah. In terms of like, I know this is usually we talk about weekend stuff. So I was more fascinated with your beer. Um, I, my weekend was like pretty much low key as, as it should be right now, uh, for the pandemic. I, you know, I played some video games. I, did some drinking and that's about it. Like I have nothing to report back on other than we watched truth seekers. Um, so that was, that was the big thing was the, the, the show prep. So I guess, you know, I guess I lived a pretty, pretty boring weekend. Yeah. I, I had a fairly boring weekend as well, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but, uh, 
Um, I won't talk too much about it because I know it's a series that you're going to be watching as well. But uh, we're about halfway through Lovecraft Country right now. Oh, wonderful. Um, I would say uh, highly recommend the show um, if you people out there haven't watched it. And uh, I've got another five episodes to go, but uh, really strong stuff, really good stuff coming from HBO. And uh, uh, I think Sunday uh, I spent uh, trying to draw Godzilla. Um, And boy, was it harder than I thought it was going to (laughs) be. No, I saw your Godzilla. It turned out uh, quite nice. And I uh, made it a point. I I know you don't always promote yourself, but I made it a point because... our, our friend, uh, the Mr. Goro, the, the Talk Without Rhythm podcast, um, he has been doing with his Patreon um, feed, if people want to go over and check that out, which he does amazing work. He's been watching all of the Godzilla films in order. So I thought, well, that's some that's that's kismet right there. That's some fate. So I figured, you know, I would show off your Godzilla to the people there that are probably feeding for some more Godzilla. Well, it's it's funny. Um, two things about that. One is, is that... Uh, I, I don't know, like, when it comes to Godzilla, because I'm not, my knowledge probably ends somewhere in the early 80s, but I have this vision of what Godzilla looks like. I mean, yes, I I saw the 1998 Godzilla in the theater. Uh, it was one of the, and I don't mean this to be overdramatic, but, like, at the time, it was one of the worst days of my life at that time, like, um, and I don't mean it to be... Like it was just that like everything was going wrong in my life at that time. And I had one thing to look forward to was that Godzilla movie. And I was like all in, I was like, yo, Kiro Taco Bell. Like, um, I just, Godzilla's foot is bigger than this. Like I was all about it. I was so stoked to see the movie. And then I walked into that theater and I walked out just a crushed man. Um, like, but like, did like earlier that day, did you like step in a bucket and then step in another bucket and then flounder around and end up sitting into a tro- like sitting down in a chocolate cake, and then somehow <laughs> like you know and it's like oh by the way your student loans calling today like I just you know like you're just like just like I'm like a, just a shamble of a person be like you know what the one bright spot today though is with, with my bucket feet is to watch this Godzilla film. Yeah, it, it wasn't quite that bad, but uh, you certainly weren't right or wrong about the uh, the debt part of it. Um, <laughs> I was I was pretty yeah. seriously in debt at the time. Uh, I was alone. I uh, didn't have a girlfriend. I worked a job that I hated, and uh, every day was just like, uh, "This is what life's going to be." Because I was. 98, I would have been 23 turning 24. So, like, to me, I still had hope. I had to get over that. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) I mean, good news is uh, this year um, is pretty much, you know, like, there is hope, but, man, like, if you've you've never gotten over, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Right now, much worse. But at the time, like, I was at a low point in my early life, we'll put it that way. You know how it is when you're, you're young, and you kind of figure out how the world works or you start to discover how the world works and you find out that everything you ever knew was wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was at that point. And, uh, so, and then uh, along comes Godzilla. <laughs> along comes Godzilla and just tramples the only thing that I was looking forward to that entire year. Oh, okay. I'm sure there were other high points, but, uh, you know, I, I just, I just remember walking out of that movie and being crushed and, uh, that said, uh, going back to what I was saying originally, the, the drawing, like, I had this picture in my head of what Godzilla should look like, and then I realized that it's probably somewhere across from the Shogun Warriors toy of the, 
late 70s, early 80s, and the early 50s look of it, and probably some of the cartoon and maybe even Godzuki. But, like, they had just sort of melded in my brain. And then when I started looking at photo reference, I'm like, that is not at all what Godzuki looks like. And I, I so I struggled with that. I, it, was, it was, you know, uh, finding the version that I thought it looked like. And it was a fun piece to do, but boy, oh boy, I did not expect it to be the project that it turned into. Well, I mean, I think it's good to like, it's not necessarily challenging yourself, but like, you know, this kind of like, you could have been like, well, that's my version as opposed to, I think you're trying to pay homage to a certain like era. Right. And then, or mixing of the two. But again, that from what I understand of Godzilla, that's kind of what, that's what happens with the designs of that, that creature. Right. Is that, it's kind of like, you know, one step forward, but there's always that, that looking back to the past. I'll also say that it, it, it's, I made it a mistake that a lot of artists mix, make is that, uh, I also then went on to look at some artists who I adore and look at their versions of Godzilla. And it just deflated me because, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm not a huge art Adams fan, but I, I like his stuff quite a bit. And, uh, I went and looked and like, he's, He's so good. He does a crazy amount of detail and his Godzilla drawings are amazing. And I just, I got done and I looked at his and looked at mine and I was like, should I just put this in the garbage? But, uh, (laughs) it happens. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was fun to do, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. The next time I do a Godzilla drawing, I'm going to have to do a little planning beforehand. We'll put it that way. That's fair. All right. So, all right, that's that's our weekends. Uh, you know, beers, uh, Godzilla's, um, and then nothing else. That was our weekends. Uh, so yeah, um, I I got nothing else. Are we ready? Are we ready for some news? I I think so. Good news, everyone. So. This week, in terms of like pop culture stuff, like this week on Invasion of the Pop, I'm about to start over again. It's been a little like for us, for what we're interested in and what we want to talk about, it's been a little thin. So, we got one big story just broke that Steve did all the reporting on. So, we got to give him credit. That's whatever. We just checked the internet before we started recording. Uh, but he has a story that I've not heard yet. But I just, there's one headline. This is from CNN. Uh, it was uh, from eight hours ago. I'm just going to read the headline. I'm not going to read this story, but this is going to count as story number one because I always want to hear Steve's reaction. Dinosaurs would have continued to thrive had it not been for the asteroid, researchers say. (laughs) So wait, you're telling me that they figured out that had something not come along and destroyed them all, they'd still be around today? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if you know this theory about... Like, you know, dinosaurs being like doing their thing. And then uh, an asteroid came down and kind of just annihilated like their environment. I don't know if you know that or not. I mean, I, I've well, never, I, I've never I heard saw, this theory before. I, I saw that uh, documentary series called Ice Age. It's really fun. Uh, but it really tells you the story of uh, what happened. Um, no. Uh, yeah. Well, and then I, there was I, that, there was that pre one, like the one that like it, it was the, what the, they did in the sixties, the Flintstones, when I looked at that, that modern stone age family and what life was like before the apocalypse. You know what? I screwed up. I said, ice age. I meant to say land before time. Damn well, it. No, both work. That's fine. Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess that's fair, but I, I, for whatever reason, my brain swapped well, at least out. You didn't say the crudes. That's fine. <laughs> I'm okay with that. But yeah, uh, I just, I yeah. Just, I'm sure that there's more in depth than this, but I'm just like, but 
okay, yeah, we I think it's something that we've all agreed on, right? Like, I mean, I you know, the Earth's been around for five thousand years. Dinosaurs were there first, and then an asteroid happened, and then Noah got on his ark with all the animals that weren't dinosaurs. That's history. <laughs> have you have you been to the Creation uh, Museum? Is that what's happened here, Paul? No, Is that where you're getting your uh, info from? No, I've not. That's the one. It's like it's um that's right across the the border um, in Kentucky from Cincinnati, if I recall. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just, I, I would like to go. I think it would be highly entertaining, but I don't want to donate money towards like batshit craziness. Um, yeah. That's hurting other people. And same thing with like the arc, like the, like the rebuilding of the arc. Like I would love to go see that just to, just to see the links people will bend their brains to accept things, but I don't want to give any money to either one of those things. I, I will say, and I, I don't know if you've seen it, there's a documentary on Netflix. I think I brought it up uh, when I watched it uh, on Bill Nye and the guy who basically runs that whole Noah's yeah. Ark exhibit. Uh, it's very fascinating. But, like, did you, uh, did yeah. you know that um, in the Noah's Ark, there's a Chick-fil-A? I don't know if that's true or not, but that feels about <laughs> right. <laughs> They're closed on Sundays, though. Which is <laughs> 40 days and 40 nights, not in a row. You know, but anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah. Did you know that the asteroid is what killed the possibly killed the dinosaurs? I mean, breaking news, you know, just want to let you know that's uh, I still would like to believe that it was Homer Simpson uh, sneezing on them <laughs> yeah, or or going back with this uh, like a club and being the show. Everything else. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I don't want to begrudge any any uh, researcher slash scientist who's doing work, but I do wonder, like, you know. That there wasn't somebody who was like, really, this is what we're doing? Like Another headline, um, the, the city of Pompeii would have survived and thrived had it not been for the volcano. That's the other, scientists say, that's the other headline. I don't know if you know that or not. You know, I mean, it would have been great if they would have come up with, like, some sort of crazy notion. Like, you know, dinosaurs would have evolved into smarter dinosaurs and they'd be driving cars like in the TV show Dinosaurs that lasted a season in the 90s. Like, it would have been like, had the asteroid not hit, Dinosaur Wall Street would be thriving in this uncertain times. Like, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> dinosaurs would be prospering in this bullish market. What? <laughs> um, like, you know, um, Cro-Magnon Park is the number one film in the country. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, dinosaurs anyway. would have made it to the moon first. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay, now now you're telling me about a world I want to know. Like that would be amazing. <laughs> it's like though our arms don't go far, we can reach for the stars. You know that would be. Yeah. Dinosaurs no longer rule the earth; they rule the moon. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So yeah, that was the first story. That's not really a story. I'm sorry. I, just, I saw the headline. I was like, I have to tell you, Steve. So. All right. Yeah, I mean, I'm writing my own shitty B movie. Great, so let's it's... do it. Let's do it. Let's uh, <laughs> uh, um, Jurassic Moon. We're gonna make that. Um, we're gonna make that comic. Um, Get Asylum on the phone. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. It's oh, no shit. They probably are. They're like, oh, you said it out loud. We own it now. I'm like, okay. Can we get? Can we get a NATO of some animals up there too? Can we do that? Is that? You know, moon NATO. Uh, anyway, um, so, um, so yeah. The, okay, the one actual story we have here, and this actually is broke. Uh, breaking news. Uh, so, Wonder Woman 1984 has been pushed back a couple of times because you know the plague, um, and it's a film that I know I've been looking forward to. I know Steve has been too, and it's like, what do you do? 
with these like you know tentpole films that have been made and they're just sitting there waiting like like Black Widow still in the wings um you know like Tenet got pushed to theaters you know whatever so this was just announced that HBO Max is actually going to premiere Wonder Woman 84 on Christmas in the United States while it's going to open internationally in theaters because I don't know. There's probably other countries out there that are more responsible and got their shit together so people can go to the movie theaters again. Um, so uh, our our inability to function as a society and care for one another has given us the opportunity to watch Wonder Woman on Christmas. So, yay? Like, I'm excited for the film. I don't like the implications of why it's showing up that way. I do think that... Uh... It's it's kind of a sour taste, obviously. You know, it's it's a you know it's a movie that I desperately would like to see as well. Um, and I think it's really unfortunate. And I say this as somebody who uh, loves a very male dominated uh, genre of comic books. You know, women. You know, who and I don't mean to make it sound like women don't love comic books or anything like that, but like. We've gotten 10 straight years of, you know, comic book movies largely featuring men. And like this year, there were going to be two tentpole films, comic book movies. And they were the only comic book movies, I think, that were on the horizon. Maybe Eternals was going to come out at the end of this year. But like they were the two big tentpole films and they were both starring women in female uh, in female leads. Wow, imagine that. Um, but uh <laughs> It's <laughs> it took me a second to, to, to untangle what you just said there. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Women and female leads breaking news. <laughs> Women get parts in movies where they're the female lead. What? Um, so I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's good, but again, it's, it sucks. Cause I would like to have seen this in a theater and, uh, I would like to, I would like to see just any movie in the theater anymore, but, uh, you know, I, I do know that, uh, the, uh, um, drive-in here has extended its season. They're open through, uh, November now. Who knows? Maybe they'll go into December and I can go watch it on the drive-in. Um, <laughs> I, you, you know, know, I mean, as much as, as much as I think the drive, I mean, them extending it out a little further, I think that's fine. Um, I just, there's a certain point though, like, I wouldn't trust my car's heating to be like consistent and I would just be sitting mm -hmm. there like turning the car on and off, on and, off and like just <laughs> slowly dying to either carbon monoxide or hypothermia while watching a movie. Um, but you know, like, I, so this is coming out December 25th for, for the U S audiences. And also Disney plus is releasing soul, uh, which is the Pixar film, the other animated film uh, that they had slated this year, the same day. So um, it's going to be a good day for movies. So that's exciting. And I, I am yeah. excited to see this movie and it'll be fun to watch this. Like I, now that, um, now that we have a house and we have, um, and I, I don't know if I talked about this as a show. I'm sure I did when we first got the house. Um, we have this huge ass TV that was part of the house that was above our fireplace, like bigger than the one that was at my apartment that Steve has seen. It's even bigger than that one. Um, it's above our fireplace. It's like, and we can now actually listen to things loud because we own a house. I think I'll have a pretty good viewing environment to watch this film. And the only person I can yell at the entire time will be my wife if she tries to talk to me during it. So there's that, at least. Um, but yeah, I'd like to have supported this film. Um, I'm sure when there's a physical release, because I, I bought the first one, 
I'm sure I'll go get it the moment it's available physically as well. So at least I'll support it that way. Not that Warner Brothers is hurting, but I want to keep supporting Patty Jenkins and um, uh, Gal Gadot. I was about to say Wonder Woman. That's not a real name. Well, I mean, let's be honest here. The first Wonder Woman was the first (laughs) – I'm going to catch hell for this, but – it was the first DCE movie, DCEU movie, I guess is the best way of putting it, uh, that uh, I thought like kind of got it right. Yeah. Um, no, you're you're. Why catch L when you're right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and unfortunately, the aspects of that film that I had trouble with were the ones that felt like they were a Zack Snyder film. So, uh, I'm very happy to support Penny Jenkins, uh, and I'm hoping she, you know. I, it's it, it's an unfair expectation that well, like when you're like, oh, I've done two of these films where people are like, are you making it a trilogy? Because everything's got to be a trilogy now. But, you know, I, I hope that she gets to do more Wonder Woman. And, yeah. uh, you know, I hope that this is a big success. Um, it's it's Wonder Woman. It's going to be on HBO Max, which I'm sure is a nice cap in their feather. Cap in their feather? Cap in their feather. Their it's cap. a pretty big feather. They could put a cap in it. Yeah. It's fine. No, um, but I, yeah. I do also think it's interesting. I mentioned the fact that I'm like, oh, you know, this was the year we were going to get two big comic book tentpole movies, you know, featuring women in lead roles. And I, I'm always, like, amazed when people act like that's such a weird notion. So I kind of did it myself. But I was trying to celebrate the fact that, hey, we're here now. Let's keep this going. Keep it going, thing. yeah. Um. But, you know, there's always that question of, like, would you see a movie that was, you know, all women Avengers? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'll I'll see any comic book movie that I, well, I, now, let's be fair here. It's got to look good. Like, if it's, like, Zack Snyder's, you know, Avengers, probably not. Um, and I don't mean to take the dig, but I'm just saying that, like. Zack Snyder's Stripperella. Like, nah, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, you know, if if it's, you know looks like it's going to be a good movie. I'll support it no matter what. But, like, let's get over that whole notion of, like, oh, can we, we make a comic book movie about a female ca- Yes, you can. You there can, yeah. are dozens of comics about those characters. I mean, so Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, th- th- I think that's a good point. Um, also, brief aside, uh, how many Star Wars films should Bryce Dallas Howard get to make now? <laughs> You know, I, I, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, they should have given solo to her instead of her father. <laughs> uh, you know, I, we didn't I know at the time. Solo. I don't hate solo. I, I, like, I think, I think Solo's fun. There, there's problems, but I think it, I don't I think, think it's, I don't think it's a black eye on the franchise, like some of the other things, you know, but, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think she's shown, like, not that we want to talk about the Mandalorian, we want to talk about the Mandalorian. Um, and that's not really the story tonight, but talking about, like, you know, women uh, doing, like, cool things, I, I think, like, she's shown, like, like I know that's, like, it's only, it's two episodes, but, my God, like, if, if she gets it, and, like, I, I would be excited if they gave her her own project to work on. So here's the only Kavat, and it has absolutely nothing to do with uh, the her directing the episode or even the episode proper. Um, I just, and again, this goes back to your whole like, oh, I don't want to have too many, you know, space sorcerers showing up in my space western. Um, they introduced Bo Katan in the last episode. Sorry for those of you who haven't watched it. Spoilers. Well, all the all but, the ads now are showing the three the three Mandalorians. If you notice, right? That. Yeah. 
And uh, as somebody who watched both the Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels, I felt like I kind of knew who Bo-Katan was, but I also realized that there's a lot of backstory to unpack. And boy, oh boy, does it become a conundrum uh, when you're trying to explain to your wife who Bo-Katan is, and you're like, I don't know if I remember this correctly. I could be wrong. But thankfully, everyone who has a YouTube channel uh, now has a, who's Bo-Katan? And here's an eight-minute video of, recounting like everything you should ever need to know about the character. And there's a part of me that's just like, I, I kind of wish that like they would, how do I put this? I feel like we got enough of the episode to know who Bo-Katan is. And like, yes, you need to know that she's after the dark saber because she was the one who we last saw it with in other star Wars things before this. That's it. Like, well, consider, okay, so I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this. Uh, um, so with myself, I've not seen any animated Star Wars stuff. Um, I feel like I feel like it just like the the extended stuff just ends with the Star Wars holiday special. I'm good. No, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, with with the end of the first season where you see um, Gus Fring come out of that Tie Fighter with the dark saber. And it's like, oh shit, what's that? And I read a little bit about that, but it's like, if I didn't go on reading about it, but seeing him having a black lightsaber, and then in this episode where she's like, where is the dark saber? Those two points connect, and you can tell that her and uh, Moff Gideon, like they're they're coming to a head. That's cool. So, and then also like, so I didn't like, I know that she's like a big lore character in terms of that stuff, but I didn't need all of that backstory because like they gave me enough in the episode to get me across of who she, like who she is in the context of this show and where she's going and having Starbuck play her also amazing. Well, she played, she actually did the voice of the character as well. Katie Sackhoff did the voice of Bo-Katan. Yeah. I didn't know that. It's actually a nice way of bringing the two worlds together. Uh, but I guess it's just, you know, I tend to, and again, it's all over the, the genres that we, we all, I guess, love at this point. But, you know, whether it's, and I guess it's unfair to call Star Wars its own genre, but like whether it's comic books or medium is a better word of saying medium, um, comic books, movies, TV, sometimes it can be a little laborious to carry all that backstory around. So I was like, trying to explain it to my wife and I'm trying to remember, like, I think I'm getting some of this wrong. And like, I I just, I hated the fact that I jumped onto YouTube and like, like six of the videos that were recommended to me was like, you know, here's who Bo-Katan is and why you need to know 84 episodes of a cartoon show that, you know, I, I get a little leery of that stuff. So I'm hoping it doesn't go down that road because I don't want everything to be like, and I don't yeah, want to no, get it connected because I, you, I you don't want it to be a thing where it's like you have to have this pre pre-installed knowledge to enjoy what's going forward, which was my worry about that show. Uh, but I, I think for my not purposeful lack of knowledge, I, this stuff's out there. I could have watched it by now. Um, knowing what I don't know, it, it, I don't feel like I was like, like lost. I don't feel like I was underserved as someone watching the show. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'll give an example. Uh, so, um, the Watchmen series that Steve has not watched yet that's on HBO, um, which is wonderful and Steve should watch it. Uh, one of my friends started watching it without having read the original Watchmen comic or even seeing the Zack Snyder movie. They just watched the series by itself and they were blown away by it. That says a lot because that show is dense. 
but for them to kind of like catch up, like, and just go with it and, and still be entertained and still be like emotionally invested in what's going on. That's the mark of a good, a good storyteller that you don't have to bring in everything else to tell the story you're going to tell in front of you. Just give them enough. Yeah. And I think with them introducing at some point, Ahsoka Tano, which I'm pretty sure we're going to get here pretty quickly. Uh, that's going to be another character that, you know, unless you're a diehard Star Wars fan, you're going to not going to know about. So I, I, I just don't want to see it veer in that direction where everything suddenly becomes your concern is like, I don't want to go back to Tatooine and I don't want to talk about Luke Skywalker anymore. Fair enough. I don't want people to be turned off to the show because they now feel like they have to watch a bunch of other things to understand what's going on. And I'm not saying they get it badly with Bo-Katan. I just, I, I, it was the first thing that I, that popped in my head and I, I I realized I'm like, well, I haven't watched this episode since so long. And I don't know that I, I'm like, I thought she was part of Death Watch, which she was, which I got from watching an eight minute YouTube video. So I'm part of the problem. Um, But I I hope that they don't get too sucked into the own, their own mythology that where it doesn't, where it stops being fun for other people watching it. That's fair. So I, I'll, I'll put a cap in the story. That was not a story, but it's now a story now. Cause that's what I just did. Uh, Cause we were talking about one woman. And now we're talking about some other wonderful women. Uh, but uh, what I'll say is that as long as the experience stays focused on the Mandalorian on Mando himself and his, his walking into this world and everything being presented to him, I think we're going to be good. And I think John Favreau, who's written every episode so far this season, um, I think he gets that. And considering that he's also the man that uh, had to uh, um, carry the expectation of the Marvel Cinematic Universe with the first Iron Man film, like, I think he understands a bigger, the bigger, like, like the bigger world and what needs to be done for the characters and for the audience. So I have faith right now. So I think that's good. Um, so that I'll say that, um, and I, yeah, it just, it was a great episode. And anytime that you have a uh, stormtrooper get slammed across, um, like the cockpit of a ship and they slide off, I'm in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I love that. Mo- I mean, this, and I hate to say it because it, it sounds like I'm putting the show down, but the show really is a series of moments from like, Oh, like it's, <laughs> it's a lot yeah. of awe moments. We'll put it that way. So I hope to see, you know, I hope to see that we keep on this, this path and, uh, you know, it, and it's fine if we revisit characters who have existed in the, the universe. And, uh, I don't mean to make it say, uh, I don't mean to make it sound like I'm against it. I just hope that it doesn't become a thing where it becomes, because uh, like there are people that I know who don't really keep up with Star Wars or even were like, yeah, I saw the movies. That's like where they end. I, I, and I know they love the Mandalorian. So I'm hoping it doesn't push them away. Yeah, I agree with so. that. So, um, so yeah, that's our story about Wonder Woman. Uh, so Steve, uh, do you, like, uh, <laughs> so what's, what's this, th- this story that I don't know about? What do you got for me? Alrighty. So, uh, I'm going to read you this headline. And I'm going to ask you a question right after I uh, ask or after I read this headline. So uh, the headline is beer for breakfast? Question mark. Yes. New Waffle House collaboration brew smells no. like bacon. <laughs> so my question to you is, is, have you ever eaten at a Waffle House? I have never eaten at a Waffle House. OK, so they're not great. 
Um, uh, I guess <laughs> we just lost that sponsorship. But uh, I'll read the article. We'll put it more like way. Awful and, House. Am I right, Steve? I don't know. I've never been on. <laughs> I mean, it, well, Waffle House is beloved by Kid Rock. That should tell you everything you need to know. Oh well, now um, I'm on board. So I'm back. <laughs> I'm back in. Uh, long story short, uh, it says here, uh, everything is better with bacon, right? Even beer. Leave it to that reliable breakfast destination, Waffle House, which I'm going to argue is not a reliable breakfast destination, uh, to test that theory. The Atlanta headquartered uh, restaurant chain has teamed with Okanee Brewing Company to concoct a new bacon-infused beer that delivers an aroma of a breakfast meal. And then it goes on to talk about how it's humorously called the Bacon and Kegs beer, and it has a multi-character enhanced with salty, savory, and smoky bacon extract, blah, blah, blah. But uh, I just, personally myself, I've eaten in Waffle Houses a couple times. I don't know that I've ever walked out of a Waffle House and been like, man, that was good. So are you saying it's the Godzilla, like the the 90s Godzilla... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> restaurant version of restaurants. Well, it didn't crush me, but uh, the 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 town that I went to college in, I went to school at Bowling Green State University in Bowling Green, Ohio, not Kentucky. And uh, uh, during that time, I worked at a hotel third shift. Uh, while I was there, they had built a Waffle House next to the hotel, so it was a place that. People who were staying could go and get breakfast early in the morning if they didn't want to eat the shitty free breakfast we offered. And uh, we got a lot of truckers, and, you know, Waffle House is a place that truckers seem to love. But, like, I remember people being like, oh, excited about Waffle House. Coming. And I I remember I gave it, like, four chances, and it was consistently bad every time. Like, not even to the point, like, I've had, pla- I've had breakfast from places where I'm like, eh, it wasn't so great. Um, I'm, I'm looking at you, Wendy's, when you, uh, tried your new, uh, breakfast, uh, menu. This wow, past there's, that, year. there's some, there's some like, um, pent up, uh, rage there that you're just like, you know, like, <laughs> no, I was really excited for that. And it was just kind of like, eh, it's not so good. At least no Taco Bell breakfast, but yeah. Yeah. So, um, it's just Waffle House in a beer just sounds terrible to me. And I just, <laughs> I was expecting, you know, like. You'd be like, oh, either, you know, it's a West Virginia staple or, you know. <laughs> oh, man. I just, I, should I be offended by that generalization? Um, I honestly don't even know if they have them in, in West Virginia. It's, it's, I mean, I'm sure it's probably along the interstates, right? Because, like, so, like, when I say I've never been to a Waffle House, it's not because, like, it's not like I've like I've been driven to the parking lot of one and it's like the omen where I'm just like freaking out like the church parking lot and can't go inside. It's just the opportunity's never like opportunity. And we'll put that in, in quotes like as in like it's not two in the morning and I need food and there's not a Denny's open. Like it's just you know, or an IHOP. Like it just I've just never been to one. It isn't because of like actively avoiding it, just just never happened. Um no, the big things in West Virginia are Shoney's and Eaton Parks, by the way. So if you want to make fun of those, that's fine. But the idea of like a bacon infused beer, I mean, that's that's the most American thing. I would try it. Like, do I, if I have to go to Waffle House to do it, nope. But if it was just like you know, um, if it was released, I would because you're, you're you're mixing like you know, beers a little bit more savory than sweet, right? So you're already mixing like the bacon flavor with that too. Like, I think I'd try it. We have um, 
we have a bag of coffee downstairs from a company called Bones Coffee Company. That's a maple bacon coffee. It isn't the most like strongest flavored bacon like coffee, but when you open the bag, you it, you can smell it. It just makes you want to like devour an entire plate of bacon. That's fair. I just I I think that. Uh... I think sometimes we get a, a little carried away with our love of bacon. I know I love bacon. I get it. But like, I think sometimes particularly with the marketing of it where it's like, Oh, people love bacon. Let's throw it in this. And you're like, why is there bacon in this? I, I don't want bacon in my milkshake, but apparently people do. Um, or my beer, I guess, sorry. I, I, I think I just made a loud thud. If I did, I apologize. Just because out of your like adamant defense that bacon doesn't belong in everything, so I would agree with no, that. No, I have a I have a, a new headset that I've been using the last couple of weeks, folks. I hope that it's improved our sound quality, but it's got a very stationary um, mic, which I'm very happy about because I felt like I was never aware of where my mic was previously. However. I also am still learning that because I keep knocking into it. So I apologize. Steve, have you ever heard me? Like I, I beat the hell out of my mic stands. Like it's bad. <laughs> you know, so I, I'm aware, but it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's on the side of my headphones. So it's okay. Fair enough. Um, long story short, uh, or, <laughs> uh, not even long story short, short, short um, story shorter. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'll just say that, uh, of the things that I've had, as far as like fast food goes, Waffle House, ranks pretty low and i mean my bar is already low like i i don't know that i have a very high bar um for what a fast food joint needs to do to like satisfy me um like you mentioned denny's like when kathy and i went on our honeymoon to la like we ate at a denny's for breakfast because it was right across from our hotel i mean we were out there for 10 days but i think at least like three or four of the days we just walked over and had breakfast there and i was satisfied yeah like i wasn't like you know, like, oh, this is the greatest breakfast ever. But like Denny's at least gets the job done. Waffle House is sort of like, have you eaten? It's not going to taste great, but it's food. <laughs> have you been stuck in the wilderness for 40 days before your nights? You'll yeah. love what we have to offer because it's sustenance. Also, it, it, there's bacon in this beer. <laughs> <laughs> so if there's anybody out there who can disprove my Waffle House theory and tell me that like, <laughs> oh, Waffle you House had a bad theory. one and it's amazing, please let us know. All right. Well, I'm going to, that's the name of this episode. Now it's the waffle house theory. That's what we're going to call this one. <laughs> I, like I mean, it. you know, I, if this came from like Hardee's, I'd probably be more inclined. And I don't even know if they have a breakfast menu, but I'm like, well, I, every time I eat Hardee's, I'm just like, Oh God, I'm going to die. Like, well, yeah, it, yeah. no, like when they're like, yeah, I just, no, no Hardee's it, it, it's, it's almost like, it's almost like a jackass style bet. It's like, can you go and eat all this? And, <laughs> And have your blood move around in your body still after? I don't know. And to be fair, the only time I ever eat Hardee's is when I've pulled off, like on, uh, you know, the interstate and been like, I got to get something. Oh, there's a Hardee's. Fine. So <laughs> I'm putting Waffle House below that. That's that's where I stand. All right. Well, some hot takes tonight. I can tell you that. So, all right. That's going to do it for our news. Um, so what we've learned so far is that Dinosaur should take over the moon. Wonder Woman um, coming to HBO Max on December 25th is great, but it sucks. Why? Uh, we're excited for more Mandalorian, which that wasn't even a story, but that's what we're going to talk about. And there's beer, uh, sorry, beer flavored bacon. There's bacon flavored beer in a Waffle House that Steve and I are never going to try. I think that sums up our news cycle for, like, 
for this week. <laughs> I guess I guess I leaned into that story quite a bit because right? I was expecting you to be like, oh, yeah, I've had Waffle House. I was surprised that it wasn't something you'd had. So. Well, OK, so have you been to Eaton Park? Do you know? Like, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had I, that I'm before. aware of them. Aren't they just basically Sonic? Like, aren't they the same no, thing? Eaton Park's more like a Denny's. Like, they're more like. Oh, is a, it? OK. And they used to do at least um, the, the ones that I grew up around. They would do like the most would be up 24 hours and they would have. Um, like a breakfast bar at like midnight to 2 a.m. And that was the destination because you'd go and they'd have the all the bacon and you just go in like after some drinking and be just like, I'm going to have breakfast at midnight at, at, at Eaton Park. And it was wonderful because, uh, again, you talk about a bar set, not very high, but it's breakfast food at nighttime. And then also they have the smiling cookies, right? Like the cookies are always like, it's the place for smiles. Um, we lived across the street, for the road from one when we lived on the east side of Cleveland. Um, and I could never convince my wife to go to it. Cause she's like, I don't like it. I'm like, have you ever been there? So we never went to Eaton park and then it closed. So it was like my one, my one anchor to home and it was always staring at me and we just never went, but goddamn, if we didn't go to Bob Evans and that goddamn cracker barrel, like that was right there. <laughs> I will say, uh, and this may catch some heat as well. I think cracker barrel is overrated. Oh no, no, no. You're not going to No, it's, it's uh, it's white person barrel. Uh, and um, it is. It's like the gift shop in there alone makes me want to just like pull my head off and just like just kick things. Like you know, it, it's it's like this. It's a it's like a dream of, of of what never was. You know, like and we we've been there a couple times for Thanksgiving because um, you know my in laws like they didn't want to prepare a whole meal and we understood that. And when we were living at the time, we couldn't host anybody because it was a really small apartment. So we would go there for Thanksgiving, and that was okay. Like the food was okay, but it was like. I don't know of a sadder place to go to on Thanksgiving other than Cracker Barrel. Well, I mean, I do. The Waffle yeah. House. <laughs> <laughs> well, Waffle House, yeah. Or Hardee's along the highway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I guess I guess at some point we could we we could probably do an entire show on fast food joints, but I've never had Eaton Park. Um I'm trying to think. Uh, I don't think that there's any around here that I know. Well, of. there there was one that's about. It's now been closed because so. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't go and uh, provide my uh, patronage. But anyway, I'm sure we'll talk more about fast foods. That's 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 another staple here on the show. So yeah, let's uh, let's just get on to our our feature presentation talking about uh, truth seekers. And now for our feature presentation. So I just want to mention before we get into truth seekers that I was like looking at like, no, I know, I, I know here on the show that like everyone's like, Oh God, another four hour episode, you know, but I was like, you know, we're getting into news. We're doing pretty good. The moment we start talking about food, another 20 minutes goes right by. So that's, uh, you know, you're welcome, dear listeners. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So, okay. Uh, so this week we like, uh, we all talked four was, of you. Yeah. Go all on. four of you. No, we just lost somebody that's going to be like, I love waffle house. You guys, I'm, we're done now. You know, <laughs> I tuned in to hear about the truth seekers. They talked about waffle. The, house yeah. Like minutes. one star. I waited an hour to get to the talk about truth seekers. And they talked about, um, they talked about star Wars and fast food for an hour, you know, <laughs> one star. Um, like, I mean, I know there was that one person that left like, what was a one star review? Cause it's, this is way early on where it's like, I wanted to listen to them talk about flashpoint and they talked about wrestling for 40 minutes before they got to flashpoint. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. Did you know what show you're listening to? Um, so, all right. 
Uh, yeah, Truth Seekers. It's Amazon Prime original series. It has uh, Nick Frost in the lead. We have Simon Pegg as well. Uh, they're writing it, and there's some other people that have written it, that has written it as well. I, I should have probably done some research on that, and I do apologize, but I, I did not. Like I said, this was a week of like a palate cleanse. I just kind of wanted to watch a thing without like overthinking it, because uh, right now, you know, it's been very stressful recently, right? So, but I knew this is something I wanted to check out. And I know Steve loves uh, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg. And like, I thought this would be like an easy sell for him. Be like, hey, you want to watch this thing with guys you like? It was an easy sell. And I actually, you when you brought it up, I'd kind of forgotten that it had already debuted. Like, I remember seeing the trailer for it and I'm like, well, that's something I'm going to watch. Like, it, was, it wasn't even a question. It was just like, yeah, I'm going to watch that. And uh, you're like, oh, they're all, all the episodes are up. And I was like, oh, are they? So um, while I didn't jump on it right away, once you prompted me with, uh, yeah, it's up, uh, it, I was going to watch it at some point. So why not watch it for the show? Yeah. So also I'm going to toss out a spoilers alert here. Um, and just Mr. Trebek, I know you're not here, but just warn everybody. Do you know why they are called spoilers? Uh, yeah, we're like, I, I it's. I feel like I'm incapable of talking about things without tripping into plot points. And there's enough here that if you've not seen it uh, and you have interest, watch it before listening to our conversation. Cause I feel like we're going to step on some of the plot points. And also, unfortunately, not that this is going to be a reference, reference, reference joke talk. There were some bits in here that I was howling at that. I, I wonder where Steve's uh, humor, where he, like the fun came from him, because there's a couple of different points here that, I was laughing harder at some of the dialogue in the series than I've laughed at and things recently. Okay. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I guess we'll find out when, when yeah, we get yeah. into it and what, what points made us laugh. But I just, I wanted to uh, say real quick, um, the other writers on this uh, gentleman's names were uh, James Serafinowitz. And I, I'm, unfortunately I don't, I didn't look him up. I don't know if, He's related, but uh, to Peter, a gentleman by the name of Peter Serafinowitz, yeah. who was the tick on Amazon. He's the voice of Darth Maul in Episode One, and he's in both Space and um, Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead, um, actor um, extraordinaire, if you will. Uh, I don't know if there's any relation, but I just saw that they had the same last name. I guess it's like. My last name's King, so everyone thinks I'm related to everyone. Well, no, it, um, it wouldn't surprise me because, I mean, like, obviously, they, they you know, it, it wouldn't yeah. surprise me if they're they're related, right? So, It's um, a long explanation for me not having done research, so I apologize. It, um, and, and then the other gentleman's oh. name was uh, Nate Saunders. <laughs> James Serafinowitz is a writer and producer known for Fit, the Peter Serafinowitz show, and truth seekers. So I think they know each other. I'm just going to yeah. throw that out there. <laughs> I want to look for the, did you know that they're brothers, brother of Peter Seraph? <laughs> yeah. I just, I just also we, wanted to, uh, we you know, sought the truth it, out. I was like, we sought like, it oh, out. It's, it's got to suck for them because you know, they're, they're two writers and they're, you know, they're, they're put together with two other writers who are, you know, both known as famous actors as well. So they're going to get the lion's share of the credit. So I wanted to at least get their names. No, out and you're, you're hundred percent right. I should have, I, I should have done that. And I did not. So thank you for, for bringing that up. 
well, it's it's very rare that I do anything good on this show. So uh, if I did anything this episode, hey, I, I, your hot takes, that. your hot takes about fast food. That's where <laughs> that's where you shine. That's what people come for. Yeah, uh, <laughs> come for the Star yeah. Wars talk. Stay for the fast food <laughs> takes. You know. <laughs> These are the things that interest me as a man careening towards middle age. <laughs> the only thing that brings me joy anymore is a uh, Taco Bell breakfast and the child, you know, anyway. <laughs> breakfast quesadillas and, and, another, and a puppet eating eggs. <laughs> you know, I, I, I do enjoy both of those things and neither of them give me outrage. So, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, so with, with that being said, I mean, the, the whole premise of this, it is, uh, we have, um, I, the IMDB is kind of messed up because everything's advertising through seekers when you click on it. So it's like, it's hard to get through. Cause it's like, is it advertisements or is it just cast? Whatever. Nick Frost is the main guy, Gus Roberts. He is a, a, a Wi-Fi installer extraordinaire for a company called smile. Um, and he goes around installing Wi-Fi, and he's like a tech guy, but he's also a paranormal investigator that has a YouTube channel that Steve and I could both relate to that has like 30 <laughs> followers or whatever <laughs> called The Truth Seeker, yes. right? Um, and he lives, you know, like lives at home with his uh, his, well, uh, his father, uh, played by uh, Malcolm McDowell, which I didn't realize he was in the series, and he was a delight every time he showed up in it. Um, I, I will say yeah. real quick that uh, it's a little bit of a... It's it's a tiny spoiler, but we think he's his father. But we yes. have to find out that he's somebody else later in the in the series. And it's so. a good emotional it's a good emotional beat to that. Yeah, uh, and so it, it kind of like frames their relationship a little better, right? So so yeah, so Gus also is a guy that likes to work alone, but his boss, um, who's Dave, played by Simon Pegg, in a very obvious wig that actually has a payoff too. Like I didn't expect that to happen. Um, like. That and so Dave's like, you're really good with this, and you should train people. And so I'm going to give you a new hire, this gentleman who's named Elton John, um, and <laughs> he's a guy who uh, seems nice enough, but also is kind of anxious, and you know doesn't really want to get too much into his own past, and you know whatever. And then go for it. I, I'm going to interrupt you yeah, here please. real quick. I just uh, talking about things that made me laugh. Um, the fact that we find out what Elton John's real name is. And the fact that he immediately quotes "hello" um, made me howl with. Oh laughter. my gosh! I, I almost peed myself. Just the whole the whole thing. I'm just like, "Oh, so your name's not Elton John?" He's like, "No." And it's like, "Oh, okay." And it's like, "Well, what was it?" Like, it's like the whole thing of like, "Oh, like basically this whole notion of like I can't believe." Like, of course Elton John's a fake name. He's like, "Yeah, it used to be Lionel Richie, or it's it's Lionel Richie." And he's like, <laughs> and it's like, Which "Oh, is- he's like, well, nice to meet you, Lionel Richie." Hello. Funny, <laughs> funny to me, simply because I also know the pain of having a famous name. It'd be like if I was like, "Oh, my name was Dean Coots, and it used to be Stephen King." You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, it's like, what's your I name now, Stephen King? It's like that can't be right. It's like, yeah, it used to be R.L. Stein. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but just the whole thing, like how deadpan it was. So that's that's what I want to want to take. Uh, I want to kind of want to grip the edges of this and talk about it. Is that um, I, I think that when we think of the Cornetto trilogy, which was Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End, um, that we kind of think of the three of Nick Frost, Simon Pegg, and Edgar Wright, how they all kind of came together to make those films. Um, and I think we forget. Well, I mean, what makes those movies work, especially for me, is the dialogue and some of the comedic timing 
and not that like we needed Edgar Wright to come in and complete this this as well because he you know he's obviously not part of it. I, knowing that Nick Frost and you know Simon Pegg were writing it, like the 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 pure delight I had for the looping dialogue and like some of this the the one off jokes and just the the awkwardness. This is this is where I really enjoyed this, and this is where I got my most comfort food is their dialogue because they write dialogue in a way that is just, it's impressive and it's it, it, how, how easy it is, how easy sounding it is, but there's so much thought put behind it. Like, and this blew me away. Now I'm going to put you on the spot here um, because you just talked about how much you love their collaborations with Edgar Wright, but I know that you have not watched faced. You're right. So, I've not. Uh, I'm putting you on the spot for 2021. I, clearly, we're still going to have time to binge watch things. I think it's a total of 14 episodes between the two seasons. Let's at some point visit space. Please, yeah, that would, would give me love. motivation to watch it. I, I like my wife loves it. Uh, other people like it's. I don't know why I've never gotten to it. You know, and you're, that's a good call. We, we'll, we'll we can certainly get into that. Yeah, so I I, just, I wanted to throw that out there first. Um, and I will say that uh, of the films that – and I'm taking Scott Pilgrim out of the equation here completely because obviously obviously, neither Nick Frost or Simon Pegg are in those films. But when I look at Paul, which was a Simon Pegg-Nick Frost written movie, I enjoy it, but it's not The World's End. It's not Hot Fuzz. It's not Shaun of the Dead to me. I like it. But those three movies are just something else. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think that movie is missing Edgar Wright's touch. When it comes to Edgar Wright, you love Baby Driver. I liked Baby Driver, but I felt like it it was missing something that I wasn't getting without Simon Pegg and Nick Frost. And again, that's an unfair comparison. But at the same time, like I feel like when those three come together, they're magic. And in relation to the show... I was kind of worried about that going in. I'm like, oh, it's these two doing something new, which is great. Yay. But I'm like, is it going to work for me in the way that like yeah, no, that I, Paul and and Baby Driver were good, but not didn't hit home with me the way that their other collaborations did. So when I, I was pleasantly surprised by the surprised surprised surprise yeah, right. <laughs> um i was pleasantly surprised by the show and i was very excited uh to come out of it and be like oh you know this is maybe and i don't want to say like oh they're writing taken to a next level but like it's a lot more denser say than paul is and maybe i'm leveling an unfair criticism at paul not you the person obviously that's fair film. i deserve it too um, but, uh, I, I was really happy to get into this and get through it and then see that it's just as dense as some of the other things that they've done. And I don't mean dense in a bad way. I mean that there are things that connect throughout the story that are set up in the first episode and don't get payoffs until the end. Yeah. So no, I think, I think your apprehensions are the same that I had as well, where it's like, of course I want to enjoy their performances and like, it's going to be like, there's going to be good to take out of it. Um, so, but there was still that back of my head of like, where's this really going to go? Um, but you know, like, and I, I have quibbles with this too. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. Not that I'm trying to be like, you know, 
not that not that I have to immediately be like, here's what I like, here's what I don't like, but there there are things I think the like the last two episodes really um rush and try to connect things so hard that it's like, I don't know if that really pays off, but I'm enjoying the characters and I'm enjoying like um the arc of the whole thing that I kind of forgive a lot of it. Um but with, with that being said, um I, I with they try to do some things here where um, they, they try to blend obviously comedy with like, uh, some of the, like the ghost chaser shows that you see and also some found footage stuff. Uh, and the, um, the scares here, there's some legitimately creepy moments in this too, which is a hard line to walk when you're doing like a comedy series. Uh, cause this is for and foremost, a comedy series that happens to be about paranormal investigation. Uh, it's almost like. Hey, what if we had this this uh, series about a guy who was a Wi-Fi installation who just finds weird shit in the meantime? That's the that I feel like that's the perfect elevator pitch, you know? Like, oh, he goes and fixes the Wi-Fi, and there's ghosts. Um, but so that's a hard line to to walk, and I think they do a pretty good job of it. And some of the imagery here is really creepy, and that's great too. Um, there's a sequence with um oh, the Lund lady and the uh, the like the the asylum that how they kill her is very graphic where they use like the, 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 the double edged like fork or whatever it is they put on her, like the bottom of her, um, like, like right below her jaw. And then like into her, like, um, right above her uh, sternum, how they, mm-hmm. I, don't know, I don't know how to describe it. It's like the, like a barbecue tong from hell or whatever. Right. So like, that's really graphic. And like, so they weren't afraid to show you horrific things and then turn right around and like make a joke. So tonally this, this thing could have wobbled and fell apart, but they found a way through and it, it made both parts stronger in my opinion. I think with this, I mean, and again, it's, it's so unfair at this point just because of the fact that ghostbusters is such a phenomenon of, you know what it is. But I think that that original film was just a wonderful melding of comedy and horror. And uh, yes, that movie's not for the most part scary, but I saw that movie at 10 in the theater, you know, that, that opening with the, the, the ghost in the original Ghostbusters was scary. You know, a lot of the things that happened in that movie were scary to me. And I realized that I'm saying that as somebody who saw it at 10 years old, but for, for that type of, you know, ghost story. It was, it's sort of the, a list. We'll put it that way. It's, it's the thing that people will always reference when it comes to supernatural comedies. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. Um, but you're referencing, uh, of, you know, the, the idea of showing something really graphic and horrific and then cutting to a joke works magnificently in Shaun of the dead. Mm -hmm. Um, Shaun of the Dead has some of the some great gore gags. I mean, whether it's um, you know Bloody Mary in the backyard falling onto the post oh, and yeah. them taking photos of her, to them then realizing that they can defeat the zombies using you know things to blow uh, or, or blows to the head, and then throwing records at them, <laughs> and then obviously going to the cricket bat. Um, and then 
there's a great moment. This is not a Shaun of the Dead review. I'm sorry. I keep talking about Shaun of the Dead. Well, but, but, they're, like, but they're not that dissimilar. And I think, I mean, I understand that we've just mentioned the Cornello trilogy, but this one is closer. And at the world's end too, which I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the reference there or sorry, the connection there in a second, but you're not wrong. So please continue. Okay. So Shaun of the Dead, I think a better instance of that might actually be where they uh, are in the car they hit somebody and they're like, Oh God, they're worried that they've hit a live person. And they realize they have hit a zombie and then it just goes back to normal. (laughs) They're so relieved. It's a wonderful comedic beat. I think that this does a lot of that without being so um, direct with going to the joke. Next, it balances maybe that drama and horror a little bit. I don't want to say better, but like, in preparation for the for this, there wasn't a lot of material out there um, supporting like what the series is. But I did watch a it was probably like a two minute video of Nick Frost um, and Simon Pegg and the other two writers, um, James Serafinowitz and Nat Saunders, doing a this or that, and it was like rapid fire, like them hitting them with you know uh, different movies and and genres and things like that and like one of them was like horror or comedy and simon Pegg's initial you know uh response was was like why do i have to choose one of them yeah and i feel like this fits that very well and i think that that's something that they excel at i i think that and again i don't want to go too much into this with horror but i i think that there are a lot of diehard horror fans out there who just are like i don't want horror in my com- i don't want comedy in my horror and i I eat that stuff up. Like I love horror and comedy mixed together. Like I can't imagine somebody not loving American werewolf in London. Cause it's brilliantly funny and horrific at the same time. Um, I, yeah, that movie I, is a Shaun lot funnier. You're right. Thing. You're right. That I'm sorry. I'm cutting you off. Um, though, like when I, when I saw, it just a few years ago at the 12 hours of terror here in Cleveland, it'd been my first time watching America World of London, like as like a grown up and like forever, I forgot about how amazingly funny and sharp that film is because as a kid, that transformation sequence just ruined me as a person. So, <laughs> <laughs> and that's fair, but I, I just, I'm always one of those people who's shocked, uh, when, whenever somebody says they don't like comedy in their horror and I'm like, I'll give it to me all day long. I'll yeah. take it. So, um, and I think that they do that really well here. I would say that, and again, this is a personal thing. I, because I, I want Simon Pegg and Nick Frost to be that new dynamic couple. Uh, like they are in the other films that I just referenced earlier, but like you want to see them, partner up and you don't get this that with this series which is not a bad thing at all because elton john is fantastic but it was the expectation i walked in with and i was surprised to find out this is more this is more the nick frost like like vehicle with i mean they they do give simon Pegg stuff to do especially in the last like two episodes uh but yeah you were kind of not that i'm saying the trailers were giving you something that it wasn't but of course, you think you see the two of them together. It's like, of course, they're going to like be working together. And the, the couple times where they're in office together is fun because they have like clearly these guys know each other. They're, they're they're friends. They've known each other for years. They're the way that they're able to bounce lines off each other is amazing. Absolutely, and I, I think that 
particularly the way those two, um, not only the way they play off of each other, but the, the way that they interact, I think, and I hate to say it because it, it, we, we've obviously seen iterations where, and this isn't specific to them, but we've seen things where like uh, two people don't like each other and pull off an amazing scene. We, we talked about uh, last week that I showed my wife Caddyshack and we talked about the Chevy Chase Bill Murray scene and those two were not in a great place when they filmed that scene together. It's a great scene and it works. And you'd be surprised if I'm like, yeah, those two guys didn't really like each other at the time. With this, like, I I, <laughs> I don't know. I think it comes through. I think their friendship comes through. And it, maybe it's just the fact that we know that uh, as the viewer. But I, I'll i take those two together all the time. It's 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 like uh, with Kevin Smith films. Like, uh, And I, I realize Ben Affleck at this point, even though he appears in Jay and Silent Bob Reboot, he's probably not going to make another Kevin Smith movie. But... If, he, if Kevin Smith somehow was like, I made a new movie, and Kevin Smith, or I'm sorry, Ben Affleck and Jason Lee are the title characters, that's another relationship where I could watch those guys all day long. So uh, the comparison that I'm trying to make is is that like I don't know if it's the fact that I know that they're friends and how involved they are in each other's lives that affects that, but like their performances certainly conveys two, two actors who, no matter what roles they seem to be in, whether it's you know, Nick Frost is the lead and Simon Pegg as the, the supporting character or vice versa, they work. And I think that's a very strong thing to look at, particularly with the way they write their characters. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I also like that, um, like uh, you, you see that, like Nick Frost is one of those guys that wants to believe he has that, uh, that, that was like basically a zine called the white papers, which there's a wonderful joke about like, <laughs> like about that too, where it's like, well, no, it's not the whites papers or whatever. It's like, that's, yeah. that's a different thing altogether. And then it gets brought up again later. Um, but like, you can see that like, uh, Dave's like, Oh, did you read this article? This, this, and this. And like, you learn that there's reasons for that, but he understands that like Gus is this guy who's really good at his job, but he also like you get the notion that like Dave knows that Gus is like still doing this truth seeker stuff on the side and using the company van to go do it, you know, but because they have a common interest and it's not like directly interfering with work, he's going to turn like a, like a blind eye because it's a common interest. And it's like, that could have, that could have been written like, like um, with like hostility towards Gus's actions, but it was more like uh, like no, you're our you're my number one employee. Like whatever. Like that was interesting. I wasn't expecting that to be the outcome of their relationship. I agree. Yeah, I I think that uh, the fact that uh, most of Simon Pegg's fil- uh, scenes feel feel like they could have been it's. <sighs> The best like uh, equivalent I can use is is uh, when they'd hire Jim Brown for three days of a movie, and <laughs> they're like, "We're gonna have him throughout the movie, but we're gonna like film these scenes yes. all in this same spot." Like all of Simon Pegg's uh, scenes, with the exception of the last episode, take place in an office. So um, it felt very much like we have to write this, but I have you know, eight Mission Impossible movies to make with Tom Cruise before he dies. So let's uh, schedule this. So Tom that Cruise I is never going to die. This is be honest. Like, you know, um, <laughs> no, it just makes me think of, I know you probably have not seen um, the What Hot American Summer, like the first day of camp series they put out. 
there oh, were, yeah. did you see that with Bradley Cooper? They got him back mm-hmm. in. You could tell that he wasn't available. So he's like, I'm going to be at this house party later, but I'll be wearing a ski mask. So when you guys see me, you know, don't question it because I'm wearing a ski mask. And then we cut to the house party later. It's like, hey, everybody, I'm DJ Ski Mask. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a different actor wearing it. And it's like, you're supposed to be like, I guess that's Bradley Cooper. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Which I always thought was amazing that Bradley Cooper was like, because I think he said that it was his first acting role. It was his first acting role. He, he yeah, actually skipped he like, like yeah, his I'll high school graduation it. or something to go film that movie. Yeah. Some yeah. garbage like that. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, but yeah, I, I agree. It's absolutely in that same vein. And, uh, you know, before we, we, we talk so much about Peg and, uh, uh, Frost, I also wanted to make mention of, um, you know, Malcolm McDowell, Osley as, you know, the father-in-law, um, has some great stuff. And I, I, I say this as somebody who has seen, I don't know, maybe a quarter of Malcolm McDowell's filmography. I'm sure if I opened it up, I'd be like, nope, I haven't seen it. Nope. You're like, I've seen Star Trek Generations, and that's it. And I actually, (laughs) uh, well, no, I actually thought that he was a really great choice for Rob Zombie's uh, remake of Halloween. I think he's fantastic. Oh, that's right. He was Loomis. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's a great Loomis in that film. Um, And the fact that, like, we see him transition from, like, a new agey sort of, like, touchy-feely sort of psychiatrist who cares and wants to, you know, help this kid and then becomes, you know, once he sees what Michael truly is, becomes this whole other person. It's great acting all around from, from Malcolm McDowell in that movie. But like, if you ask me like, you know, yes, Clockwork Orange, yes, the Halloween remake and, and yes, Star Trek Generations, there probably aren't that many more places that I can go, unfortunately. Um, and that's on me, but I'll say that I don't know that I've seen him do much comedy and he's brilliant in this because it's so deadpan comedy, um, that it works really well, but he's in on the joke. I think that's why it works well. Oh, for sure. And so here's an admission, uh, you know, for not seeing spaced. Um, I've never seen a clockwork orange. Like that is an admission here. Uh, but I was well aware of, Oh, Malcolm McDowell having eye trauma yet again. You know, I, I was aware of that, uh, watching this. I'm like, Oh, that, that kind of makes sense. But I just like, I, I just love that. He was like the cranky, you know, the, the cranky, uh, father-in-law. And then there's the whole thing of with his, um, using like the, um, the upstairs, downstairs, whatever you call that, the, the, the rascal, that's not a rascal, whatever you call that thing. And then there's the bit where it's, it's moving too slow. Yeah. He just, he's, it's moving too slow. So he just gets up and walks upstairs. That's a wonderful payoff to, to his character of like, you know, I'm, I'm going to use this so I could just be uh, cranky, but now it's moving too slow. I'm just going to walk up the steps, but yeah, they gave him a lot to do the whole thing with him, like inadvertently screwing up Snapchat or whatever was really funny. And, um, and yeah. I, I think the joke that works for me best is when the first time we were introduced to him, he's going up the stairs on the chairlift and like he gives <laughs> <Yes>. out like <laughs> a no and he, he just like exaggerates it because it's supposed to be the idea that he's going up, but he hasn't actually moved very far. Yeah, yeah he's and a delight. He chuckled yeah. so hard. Yeah, that and um, yeah, there's so much like just you could tell that he was game for whatever that they were going to do. So I, I like that. I would say he was the 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 the, the um, like the show stealer, but that's not even fair. Um, Samson Ko, who played Elton John, was really good. 
his sister, uh, Helen, who was played by Susan Wacoma, uh, she was great too. Like there was, I mean, even, um, uh, what's her name here? Astrid, uh, Emma Darcy, Emma Darcy. Like there's like, there's not a weak spot of like the main crew of people and they gave them their own things to do, you know? And, but I loved, I loved Elton John, how like, it's just, he, he just, this was guys that just didn't want to be a bother. You know, he ends up getting in the middle of all this stuff and running around with his camera filming, uh, Gus as he's doing his truth seeker videos, which, you know, like, I also liked it when they'd show like, like the graphics and things like, like mm-hmm. that would actually be put to YouTube. It was just you, like, I loved all that. The whole bit too, when they, they find the one secret door and, uh, Elton's like, Oh, like Shawshank. And then like Gus turns around, he's like, can I use that? <laughs> like, it was great. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I loved that. I, um, I loved the way they threaded Simon's, uh, I'm sorry, not Simon Samson's story as Elton John in the, in, throughout the episodes in that, we keep finding out that he's had all these different jobs and it reminded me of Firefly um, with the um, uh, is it father book. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Shepherd book, shepherd book. Sorry. Um, what I loved about shepherd book was, is that he would often have knowledge where they're like, why do you know this? Like, this is something that a shepherd shouldn't know. And it would always be this, like, you know, I wasn't always a shepherd kind of thing. And I, I think that it comes into play majorly in uh, Serenity. But, like, it, it's it's funny because, like, he'll suddenly have knowledge of something and they're like, why do you know this? And he'll be like, well, I worked here for, like, four weeks, you know, in the summer uh, when I was, you know, 20 or whatever. Uh, but, like, there's a reason why these things keep popping up and why he has knowledge of them and why he's worked all these different jobs. And I, I think it, it works not only as a character beat because it starts off small because he's actually ready to quit after the second day, which I think is really funny as yeah. well. Uh, but we find out that he's had all this string of jobs and they all seem to apply in different ways throughout the story to things that they're researching or doing. And uh, I really love them weaving that in and out of the story. And I think that he, he was very good at, at portraying um, sort of not an over-the-top, like, fear, but, like, he's clearly not happy with a lot of the things that they're doing. But Simon Pegg just keeps roping him into it. I'm sorry, uh, Nick Frost keeps roping him into it. and it, it Yeah, there, there's it, the bit, too. He's like, hey, how about you just drop me off early? He's like, or you can come back to my place and code videos for four hours. And he's like... Okay. <laughs> no, but I also, you could tell that like he, he's actually like, I found friends. And then also the stuff that was going on, like when we learn his story, it's like, you almost get that notion. It's like, it's like, he's going to keep helping because then it, it maybe will make him feel more normal type of thing. Like you get the notion that like, Oh, we're investigating all this stuff. I'm scared of my mind, but like that, yeah, that gives like, my own history more uh, like, you know, credence. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I actually love, there's an episode where they're, they're in a, what's supposed to be a haunted hotel, which is supposed to be a sham. And, uh, you know, uh, Gus played by Nick Frost points out like, Oh yeah, it's a total sham. And even when they're there, the gentleman who's running the hotel is a gentleman who plays one of the cops in uh, hot fuzz. That's right. And he has a very similar delivery to his character in Hot Fuzz, but 
throughout the episode, Elton John keeps interacting with this character that no one else has seen. <laughs> and you're expecting the payoff to be that, like, oh, he was a ghost that, you know, nobody knew who he was. And it just turns out that it's a guy who doesn't really know what's going on. Like, it's this guy who's just sort of been at the hotel. It, it's sort of lost his wits and i mean it plays bigger into the story but i, I don't want to step on it too much I, I, I feel like the person was that person it's just that because everything happened they kind of blocked it out and and yeah. being who he is and what he's capable of brought it out a little bit i, I think that's how but the was like no no he's over there like yeah that was a good that was a good like like taking the piss out of it type of thing i like that uh, but I, that episode too, I loved it. Whenever they talked about the, what was it the the Portland whatever that place was the Portland Beacon or something, right? Like, uh, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, it's a three star, and Nick Frost is like, his character's like, nah, it's it's not three stars, it's not great. And then the next scene, they're the 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 van's pulling up to this place, and Elton John's like, oh man, this place is a dump. I don't even see why it's three stars. And Nick Frost is like, well, this is my home, <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> And like the whole thing, like just how he's and then just out the entire time. It's like, well, no, no, it's quite nice. It's like that that was one of those first moments that I just belted out laughing because it was like, like that felt very much in line with like, not that I need to compare this to the, the Cornetto trilogy, but that felt like something out of that. And mm-hmm. the, the, these guys, like the, the writer's room is really good at laying like these little like, like word traps, right? Like there's that stuff that happens. Um, there's a bit whenever they go to the, was it the defunct restaurant? Cause they're looking for the beast of whatever. Cause that was a word play there too. The big cat. Um, there's something that in hindsight, whenever um, Elton sees the bag of chips and the vending machine, he taps on it and the, mach- and the machine like reveals a secret door. And you just hear uh, Gus say, what is it with you in secret doors? Like, it's funny because th- like there's been multiple times up to that point that they keep finding secret doors, but then like, there's a big character payoff with like that statement. This is the shit that I eat up where you think about it. And like, so when I talk about looping dialogue, um, you talked about Shaun of the dead. I'm going to bring this back to that. Aside from the fact that Nick Frost's character lays out the entire plot of the movie at the very beginning where they're like, they're like on this raging bender that night and they're talking about like the next day, what they're going to do. And he describes the plot of the movie basically through drinks. There's a bit though. And like, there's a lot of dialogue in the first half of that film that then gets mirrored in the second half and has way different implications. That That's the stuff I love. And the same thing with the world's end, um, the, the taverns, tell the story of that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know what it is. I love it whenever something has a payoff and there's even things in this too, where uh, Elton asks um, Gus about like his wife or his late wife. And he's like, it's complicated. Then minutes later, Gus starts kind of like prodding Elton about stuff. And he was like, it's complicated. Like he delivers the same line back to him. I don't know what it is about that, but that just scratches like that itch in my head of like, Oh my God, I love, I love like concise dialogue that, means so much more and these guys are just really good at writing it i'll agree with you 100 on that I'll, I'll say too that uh there are shades of of and again it's unfair to immediately go back to the cornetto trilogy but like there are shades of things that happen throughout this story that i'm like <laughs> feel like they're echoes of previous stories i feel like gus is very similar to nick angel in hot fuzz. Yeah. Um, now granted, he's not the ace cop who, uh, you know, shows up into town and, and notice everything's, you know, going on and, 
and, uh, you know, uh, takes on a, a partner that he's want. But in a, a lot of ways, he sort of is. <laughs> um, I feel like Nick Frost is sort of reversed to that role where, you know, Nick Frost is the, in, in particularly in Hot Fuzz, he's the unwanted um, partner. And what's great about this is, is the first scene where we're introduced to Elton John and uh, Gus, um, Dave, played by Simon Pegg, is telling him that he's going to be taking on a new partner. And he's talking about just how like how much he doesn't want to be a partner. He works better alone. Da, 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 da. But they're talking and then they pan over and Elton John is just sitting there listening to the, the entire conversation. <laughs> It's amazing. I, I love the fact that like he's been there for the whole time for him to just say, look, I don't want to train anybody and ex- have to explain what an XYZ cable is to a 574 port or whatever you know the terminology is. And um, th- that stuff was a lot of fun. But I, it's interesting how it echoes their films. I, I think that... I don't want to say that you know they've learned from what works well within their own work because it. it, it I, I talked earlier that I was initially not disappointed, but I was surprised at the fact that it wasn't them two teaming up in a story, Peg and Frost. But I think at the same time, the, that expectation being sort of squashed, and the idea of what they know about character and the way they apply it to this series, I think works really well. Yeah. And so when you talk about like shades of other like things, I, I want to mention specifically the world's end where um, like the idea of like blue, like with the, with the doubles and stuff that was going on where they would do like the, the lens flare with like the, was it blue eyes? I can't remember either. There's like eye shine or something going on there that you could tell that there was like others around. They they leaned into that a little bit too with um, the red eyes that would pop up in this. That felt very much like the world's end, where it's like, oh crap, these people are under the control of what's going on, and that's okay. But there's also a wonderful payoff too. And we talked about we didn't even talked about um, Helen's character about how she's doing a makeup tutorial to look like the Terminator. It's like that could have been tossed off, but it pays off in the end too, which I thought was nice. But there's a lot of that that I feel like um, you know again if you're borrowing from yourself and you're turning it slightly and you're telling me a story that I'm entertained with the entire time, bring it. Like I'm like, I can't fault you for knowing how, how you work best and you know how to deliver content and jokes or, or storylines. Like, like we were making the jokes earlier that, you know, if you, if you weren't named Stephen King, you'd be Dean Koontz or I said, RL Stein. There's a reason we go back to those guys and those creators. They, they know their pulleys and levers. They know what buttons to press. So I'm not going to fault these guys for this. Uh, so there's things here that like, I, I was thoroughly entertained that from active viewing and actively paying attention, there were payoffs to story beats and jokes that were laid in that other shows would have went for the easy joke that would have just been like, like, aha, uh-huh, that's great. But these things grow. And that's where I think these the strength of these guys are is that they know how to plant a seed and it does pay off. And that's a hard thing to do. Yeah, I I think that uh, there are things they plant in the first episode that don't actually even pay off to the last episode. And 
without going too much into it, because I do hope that our listeners will explore this series for themselves or binge it or whatever you want, however you want to say it. But, but like, but I think we've done a pretty good job of actually not spoiling some of the big things, which is funny because I tossed out a spoiler alert. I think we're spoiling some of the jokes, yeah, but not the but not like, the not the plot beats. You know, there's one character of Astrid that we really haven't touched, and I, I think that once people get into the series and sort of learn who she is and and find out more about her, I think that uh, there's a, a really great payoff with her at the end of the series. And I, I, you know, I don't want to step on it or spoil it, so I'm not going to say what it is, but I, 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 I think that this is, God, I, 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 I don't want to keep using the word dense because I feel like dense is, is uh, a, a, a detrimental word. D- but dense I, I sounds like, like it's, it's like, it, it, yeah, layered's the right word. Cause dense sounds like you're not going to get it. No. Laird's yeah. the Laird's a better word of like, you know, like just dig in your rewarder for paying attention. Don't look at your phone, like just watch it. Cause there's a lot of things that happen that, you know, they, it's, it's worthy of paying attention to because one, um, some of the jokes, if you're not, like, if you're not following it the entire time, don't land the same way. And like, why would you rob yourself of like gut bustingly funny stuff, which like as much as like, like I said, we're not going to talk about the, like the last two episodes. I do feel like they start like, like they have to kind of shove everybody together and they really quickly do it and whatever it is, what it is. It's okay. Um, I, I think it gets a little hinky, but you know, whatever. It, I still had fun with it. Like, I'm not going to dismiss this. I think, I think had there been other series that wasn't as strong with characters and comedy and like arcs, I would be really frustrated with some of the stuff that happened in the last two episodes, but I was able to just kind of shrug it off and move on to see, like, I know they're going to give me something that I'm going to be entertained with. Um, so, so yeah, I, I don't want to ruin it. I, you know, which good pat, pat us on the back that we're not talking about specifics. We haven't even gotten to like what's really going on. And I think that's for the better people need to discover that on their own. I'll also say too, that what I, I liked about the show is that it's not, I referenced Ghostbusters earlier and I feel like, you know, as much as I love Ghostbusters, like it's, it's very simple to be like, well, here's a spooky ghost. Like the things that they, they come across throughout the series isn't limited to like your astral sort of, you know, projection version of a ghost. It's, it's very much, uh, layered throughout the show. And, and also, different ways of interpreting the, the paranormal um, or supernatural, uh, whichever you prefer. Uh, I, I think that that's part of the genius of it as well, is that he, you know, for all intents and purposes, Gus has what's in Ghostbusters would be called a PKE meter, but a thing that just basically d- detects ghosts. And like, you're expecting that to become the thing that's always going to be part of the episode. But it is and it isn't mm-hmm. like it's 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 not it's not always like, oh, we've come across, you know, uh, <laughs> a slimer, if you will. You know, it's it's it changes and it, it we see different styles of not stories so much, but of incarnations of the supernatural world. And I think that's actually a benefit to the series as well. I will say that, you know, as we end our talk, probably, you know, I don't know how much longer we're going to go on about it. Maybe it's good that we leave some for the the viewers, but uh, 
I'll say that, you know, I'm hoping that this isn't a one-off. I, I want to see more of this world. I want to see more of these characters. Uh, I want to see... I want to see what happens to Elton John, particularly somebody who started this as somebody who didn't really want to do it at all. Yeah. Um, and then see who Gus is once he's got answers that he didn't know he would get. Well, yeah, because I mean, it does, it does open up additional questions and there's a pretty big cliffhanger at the end of the episode, which again, if we don't get more of it, I'm satisfied, but it does open mm-hmm. the door. Uh, no pun intended for additional things. Uh, and I'm okay with that too. Um, no, I, you're right. I think this was um, like one of one of my friends on Facebook. That's not Steve because we're not friends on Facebook. That's not true. They they said that they <laughs> they described this whole thing as just fine, like as in like it was great, it was fun, and it's like like um, like it was a fun watch. And I I do want more, and I do feel like you know eight episodes wasn't enough. That's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing at all. Um, and we didn't even talk about like some of the other side characters and their, and, like what they're doing and other things too, which fine, you need to discover that. But again, like um, uh, Helen's character is also interesting as well. And how she, especially her second makeup tutorial that you see is mm-hmm. like, it's like, it's really spot on about what's going on, but it's amazing. Um, I also want to ask you, Steve, since you put me, you, you called me out on the carpet for spaced, um, did you appreciate her, um, her, uh, convention costume the first time you saw it or no? So I, I knew it was a doctor who thing and I won't spoil what it is because I don't know. Is it a spoiler at this point? If I say what it is, I no, know it's not a spoiler. Is. It's fine. Okay. Yeah. It's a Dalek. A Dalek. Dalek. Yeah. Get it. Get um, it. Goddamn right. <laughs> I know that it's the weird thing that looks kind of like an R2D2 with a plunger stuck on it. Like that's. I'm aware of that. Um, but I will say, too, and I, I, I felt like this was a little bit uh, in the film Paul as well, is, is that I feel like they have a different view of what conventions are than what Americans do. Right. Like, aside uh, from, like, the what happens at the convention, I kind of want to go to that convention, aside right. from that other part. Because <laughs> both Paul and this film have supposedly comic book conventions are, are, because they actually don't even say it's a comic book convention. They say it's a something. Uh, sci-fi con or something along those lines. Yeah, it's but, like conviz, con, 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 or whatever it's called. Something yeah. like that. <laughs> they both have fun views of, of uh, what conventions are like, and uh, I would like to check them out. I mean, Oh, sorry. It's in, called the Co-Call CosCon. <laughs> you know, at one point, and I'm not spoiling anything here, but they run into a character who's cosplaying as a character from another famous horror movie, and then he tells them about an interactive, uh, ho- or I'm sorry, an immersive horror experience. From like, I would love to go to a convention to find out that, like, <laughs> oh, it's not only a convention, but at one point there's an immersive horror, you know, uh, portion of it. I'd be like, yes, let's yeah. do this. So. I kind of love the idea of what they think conventions are. <laughs> yeah, no, but I just, there, there's a conversation that, uh, uh, Nick Frost has with, uh, with Susan Wakama. So it's Gus and Helen. They're talking for a second and he makes a reference to her costume and he's like, are you a Whovian? And he talks about like who his favorite doctor is, which is funny to me because Nick Frost has been in an episode of doctor who where he plays Santa Claus because they'll do like Christmas specials. So he's been in, in Doctor Who. Simon Pegg has been in Doctor Who as a voice of something. So it's just like, I'm like, of course you're Whovians, you pieces of shit. Just say it. Like, it's fine. Like, you know, like, 
Um, but it was just funny. He just said this video. He's like, yeah, I'm a bit of a Whovian. It's like, yeah, no kidding. You were actually in an episode, but whatever. Um, I, I will, I will say too, uh, and this is something that I noticed particularly, uh, with this episode is, is that I, and again, I'm not saying that with the other projects that we've talked about where they've, they've shied away from it, but like this felt the most British. I felt like there were most, <laughs> this had the most like British colloquialisms maybe in it. And like, um, it was a little hard sometimes to be like, oh, they're talking about this because they reference, you know, that, you know, um, the, the, so, was it the chase or whatever it was that Malcolm McDowell was talking about. I'm like, yeah. I have no, that, and you know what? I think that's fine. Cause I feel like like they understand that like, you're going to get everything else and you're going to get context. So there was a lot of fun stuff in here that I'm like, I, I don't quite understand what's going on, but I like the idea that Malcolm McDowell's like, Oh, all right. Well, the live stream that we're trying to do is done. Can we just go watch the chase now? Like, I thought that was funny. I thought that was really mm-hmm. funny. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know if we've done like this, this series justice in terms of like the broad strokes, other than we can say we liked it. Um, like I said, I feel like it, it's a little, it's a little squidgy going into the end, but Again, it, it, I enjoyed everything else so much and um, whatever. I want more of it. So if that just tells me that maybe I didn't feel like it necessarily stuck the landing with some of the plot points I was trying to get across, that's okay. Because I think this this the series could have been, it could have been plot heavy. And then I felt like the payoffs wouldn't have been great. Um, but you gave me everything else and you gave me emotional heft. I'm down. And I like, it's just, it's, it's fun. It's a fun series. There's legitimately creepy bits into it. Like, can we, can we talk about the ghost at the beginning just real quick? Because, um, the ghosts that we see look like they're digitally like fragmented. Mm-hmm. Like we see them in and out. Um, was it the first, did you see the first VHS, uh, comp like the anthology film or no? Ooh, yes, yes, I did. Um, There's the is, one though where that... they go into the woods where it's like kind of like a Jason slasher thing, but you just see the slashers always showing up as like a digital artifact the entire time. Like there, someone's holding a camera up, and this guy, whoever it is that's stalking them, only shows up as like a fractalized, like you know, distorted blur on camera, but not in reality. Mm-hmm. Something about that really bothers me. <laughs> So like that sequence in that film was that really kind of got under my, like under my skin. And with this too, it's like, you know, it also did that too. Um, So I thought that was kind of effective where it's like, it shows you that it's like, it almost looks like a videotape that's been like recorded over and it's just showing you like the layers of reality. Like I thought that was effective. I can see that. I, I, I'm I'm trying to remember. I know I've seen VHS. I think the one that stuck out to me in VHS is, is there's a a girl who's taken back to like a hotel room. Oh, it's the first segment. Out. Yeah, Oof, okay. that one's creepy. That's too, the yeah. one that yeah that sticks out for me. But uh, it's been a while since I visited that film. But uh, I'll say say this for the series: if you're somebody who's seen the Cornetto trilogy, which we we referenced quite a bit throughout the series. And, and sorry, what we mean by that is that. They purposely put put different colors of Cornetto. Uh, is that an ice cream treat? I think it's an ice yes. cream treat. Yeah, There's, uh, here they're called Nutty Buddies. Oh, okay, great. Um, so each of those three movies, uh, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End, have a different color Cornetto wrapper in it. So that's mm-hmm. why they call it the Cornetto trilogy. So yeah, continue. Uh, 
if you're somebody who who enjoys Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End, the things that appeal to me in that series, there are great big laughs. But the things that also uh, appeal to me are the small laughs, like the conversational beats. The I'm going to use an example from um, Hot Fuzz that I think applies to this series, where um, there's a scene uh, where um, Simon Peck's character has uh, dispatched uh, a, 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 a giant of a man, if you will. Um, and he's describing what happened in the fight to Nick Frost. And it happened that uh, they were in a cooler. And Nick Frost is like, did you did you tell him to cool off? <laughs> and, <laughs> and like, long story short, I, I don't want to spoil it, but like, there's a lot of those types of conversations throughout this 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 episode or this series, and that's that stuff really hits home for me. So that's why I enjoyed it. I like I like things that are supposed to be punchlines that just turn into be weird conversations between two characters. So oh, we didn't even mention we didn't even like yeah. You're right. I just want to like um, the misreading of the word brine is also yeah. another moment that maybe. Uh, <laughs> laugh really hard especially how like afterwards it continues on like another beat and you're like oh god <laughs> oh so yeah. yeah if that type of thing is is up your alley i highly recommend truth seekers it's it's not gonna be you know if you're if you're looking for uh easy punchlines, it's probably not gonna be that um but uh it's so witty and well written that uh the big jokes I think come sometimes through the like smallest right line readings. We'll put it that way. Yeah. So, all right. Um, yeah, I think that's going to do it for our discussion about truth seekers. We hope that it, get, it more, more shows up. If not, it was a satisfying meal. We always want more Nick Frost, Simon Pegg and all things considered. So check it out. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of fun payoffs. There's like I said, it's, it has emotional heft, but there's some bits in there. Like I, I don't know about you, but when I watch stuff by myself, like I will sometimes be entertained, but I don't often laugh out loud by myself. I don't think people do generally, but there's times where I was like guffawing with my headphones on watching this by myself. I think that's a good mark of an entertaining series. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that that's fair. Um, if you know, you're looking for, uh, and I, I don't mean this in the way that Paul will think I mean it. But if, if, if you're looking for, like, on-the-nose jokes from, say, a uh, Big Bang Theory, you're not going to get that in this type of series. Oh, no, I agree they, with you. You're right. No, this is, this is funny. A, that's not funny. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, yeah, that's going to do it for our discussion about uh, the Truth Seekers. Uh, if you guys have seen it and they want to share your thoughts, please let us know. Uh, we have a Facebook page. It's Invasion of the Podcast. You can find it there. We do have a blog that is um, about as dusty as a dead dog. Um, I'll just say that. I need to get back to it. I'm sorry. And to talk about, like, something that's, like, that's still out there that's like saying random numbers. That's the blog. It's invasionofthepodcast.com. I keep kicking around the idea of writing things again, but then it's also intimidating because writing is intimidating. Steve can tell you about that in a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you could also find us wherever you get your podcast, rate and review us. That'd be greatly appreciated. Um, and yeah, you can email us directly at invadingpodcast.gmail. And Steve, since writing's intimidating, how can they find you? You can find me at the Saturday night slasher.com. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram, uh, under the Saturday night slasher. And I will mention that I had to edit the post 
that Paul had shared uh, recently of the Godzilla drawing that I'd done under the Senate Slasher. Uh, because of the I massive realized, genitals that you put on Godzilla, that's why. Well, no, I had to edit the text of the post because I kept jumping out of the text to go back and check spelling of certain things. And then I realized that the first sentence of it, so I don't know if it's still this way in the version that you shared, but I had to go back and fix it. I wrote a sentence that made actually no sense grammatically. Uh, so I don't know how many people read that and were like, is this guy like, is he, is he has a problem? Does he have some sort of like impediment where he doesn't know how to write? Is he just learning? So, um, writing stuff, um, even <laughs> if it's an Instagram post. So, <laughs> yeah. And you also, you said you have, uh, you have your store up, right? So people can buy things to support you right now. I mean, we're getting close to black Friday. You're going to be black Friday deals, but that's not true. Just that's the same price, but you guys can buy two <laughs> things for the price of two. I can tell you that. Yeah. You guys can jump on the center and order a copy of issue one. I will say that we got the proof back. Uh, from the printer of the Siren Slasher number two. Uh, printer is really great, so it'll probably be pretty quick before we... It'll probably be pretty quick uh, for us to have them in stock and put them up on the Etsy store. Um, there are some things that we need to just correct uh, before it goes to print, but uh, overall should be available soon. So wonderful. All right, that, that's going to do it for uh, us promoting ourselves. And now I cannot wait... Uh, to get to this game that Steve has no idea what we're about to do. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. <laughs> so, Steve, when we post this episode, which will be on a Thursday, did you know that Thursday, November 19th, is World Toilet Day? Um, I did not know. So uh, let me let, let me say the serious thing, and then we'll get on to what we're talking about. So <clears throat> the aim of World Toilet Day, aim, okay, is to raise awareness about people in the world who do not have access to a toilet, despite the fact that it's a human right to have clean water and sanitation. Poor sanitation increases the risk of disease and malnutrition. So yeah, like it's an important thing to draw attention to, right? My brain went to, can I do a 10-question quiz about toilets for Steve? So that's what we're doing right now. <laughs> I have a toilet quiz for Steve here. Uh, so, um, you know, because why not? I think that uh, we've done plenty of quizzes that have gone a lot of places, but not the toilet. So, all right. Uh, first question here. True, false. Uh, in the late 1800s, Thomas Crapper made the first flush toilet. That's got to be false. I... I there's no way that his last name was Crapper. If it was, that's an amazing coincidence. So you're right and you're wrong at the same time. So it is yeah. false. Uh, 1775 English inventor Alexander Cumming was granted the first patent for a flush toilet. So, all right. His, his greatest of innovation was the S-shaped pipe below the bowl that used water to create a seal preventing sewer gas from running through the toilet. I would argue that I put sewer, sewer gas into the toilet, but that's different. Um <clears throat> In the late 19th century, a London plumbing, a London plumbing um, impresio, impresario, clearly I copied this from something else, named Thomas Crapper, manufactured one of the first widely successful lines of flush toilets. Crapper did not invent the toilet, but he did develop the ball, the ballcock. All right, I didn't read that out loud. An improvised tank filling mechanism that's still used in toilets today. 
Crapper's name would become synonymous with the device he sold. Um, thanks in part to an American serviceman stationed overseas during World War One. Um, they were unfamiliar with the relatively newfangled invention referred to the toilets as crappers due to crappers brands, ubiquity in England, ubiquity in England and France and brought the term back with them after the war. So you're right, but you're wrong. So crapper didn't invent the first uh, flush toilet, but his name was synonymous with the toilet. Okay. Is that well, impressive? I, I think it's impressive. That is impressive. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, what was the first film to show a toilet and hear it being flushed? I'll give you some options. Was it 1941 Citizen Kane? 1958's The Blob? 1956's The Ten Commandments? <laughs> <laughs> or 1960's Psycho? I'm pretty sure it's Psycho because they make mention of it in the documentary on the film uh, on the special features that it's the first one that we both see and audibly hear because Marion Crane uh, crumples up a note and throws it down the toilet. Okay, you're right. I, I thought you were going to go for the Ten Commandments, but okay. Um, <laughs> all right. Is that you, Judah Ben-Hur? <laughs> yes, I was on the crapper. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the 11th commandment, light a candle upon exit. All right. So, um, <laughs> that is the burning bush. Uh, so, all right. Uh, all right. We all know who number two works for, but who was number two in regards to the Austin Powers films? So who was number two? Oh, well, Robert Wagner. God damn it. Yeah. Okay. So it's Robert Wagner. I was going to give you some other options here. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, I just, I, I, I'm glad you knew that. It was going to be Robert Vaughn, Robert Wagner, Robert Hayes of airplane fame, or Robert Mitchum. I really thought I was going to catch you on that one. I guess I was wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I I quite remember Robert Wagner for some reason. I can't remember important details about things, no. but for I can remember Robert Wagner in the Austin Powers series. So. Uh, in the film Idiocracy, the future people were putting what on their crops instead of water like <laughs> that comes out from the toilet? It's Gatorade because it's got electrolytes. It's not Gatorade. What's the name of it? It's, it's not Gatorade. I haven't seen Idiocracy in a while. What is it? It's Brondo. That's Brondo. the thirst mutilator. Yeah. Oh, boo. Yeah, you were half right. I'll, I'll give it to you. All right. Um <laughs> All right. Uh, all right. Another another uh, question about toilets that we saw in films and TV. What was the first uh, TV show to show a toilet? Was it 1955's The Honeymooners? 1957's Leave the Beaver? 1961's The Dick Van Dyke Show? Or 1964's The Munsters? Wow. I could say that I have not watched a documentary on any of these that would have revealed this uh, fact. I don't feel like it would be on Leave It to Beaver. I don't think, I feel like the Munsters, even though it was your not typical sitcom, I feel like that may have been a low bar for them. Um, what were the other two choices? I'm sorry. Uh, the Dick Van Dyke Show and The Honeymooners. I feel like the Dick Van Dyke Show, but I feel like it might have actually been like an important story beat as opposed to just a sight gag, but I could be wrong. It was Leave It to Beaver, and they couldn't was show it? they couldn't show the full toilet. It was just the top of the tank because I think something about the boys buying like they bought a pet and they're trying to hide it somewhere. Like it was like an aquatic uh, pet. Yeah. So yeah, I thought that was surprising that that showed up before Psycho it was Leave It to Beaver had a partial toilet. 
Sean I think Dick Van Dyke was the show that revolutionized the fact that women could wear pants. That and Ottomans are killing machines. We know that too. Because <laughs> um, I would have asked you, like, what was the first show to really have a toilet flushing on screen? That would have been um, uh, All in the Family. We know that was a big deal, right? With, um, yeah. Anyway, so, all right. Uh, uh, according to this really scientific article I found called The Eight Fast Food Chains with the Best Bathrooms in America, according to people who use them, which of these fast food places have the best bathrooms? Was it A, Waffle House? That's just kidding. I'm not throwing that in there. Um, <laughs> was it Hardee's, Panera Bread, Taco Bell, or Chick-fil-A? It's got to be Chick-fil-A. There's no way that the other three beat out Chick-fil-A for bathroom quality. Okay, it's Chick-fil-A. You're right. So, all right. Yeah, I just, you know, I... <laughs> I, uh... I... I don't eat Chick-fil-A, um, but uh, I know their reputation, uh, and that seems like something they pride themselves on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, um, donating towards charities that hold people down and clean bathrooms. So, yeah. And really good chicken sandwiches that, you know, whatever. Um, all right. So, okay, next one here is, uh, let's see here what we got. The International Space Station toilet is the most expensive toilet known to man. As opposed to known to like, like animal. I don't know. How much does it cost? Was it six million, eleven million, nineteen million, or twenty-seven million? Wow. Does it do something with the waste? Because um, I'm I'm picturing. I'll like, read the explanation after you give me an answer. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm picturing the movie The Martian, where. Uh, <laughs> Matt Damon has to creatively use the waste that has been created in order to survive. So, um, hmm. those potatoes don't grow from nothing. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Uh, was the second one 11 million? Yeah. Is that right? 6 million, okay. 11 million, 19 million, 27 million. Okay. So it wasn't 11 million, 19 million, 19 million's right. So, all right. It's only expected to be the price. What was it? It's, it's only to be expected. The price of the space toilet is out of this world, blah, 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 blah. At 19 million, this is the most expensive toilet ever made in the history of toilets, as opposed to the history of what other things it was built by Russia for the space station in 2008. And it features the most extras for the special kind of bathroom activity. The toilet has leg braces to keep astronauts in the proper position while using the toilet. Cause I would hate for them to float away while they're trying to do something. It has special fans that suck in every single waste deposit them to it into a, uh, into a septic tank. In addition, this is the only toilet ever created that has the advanced filter capable of extracting water from waste and purifying it for drinking. Um, so it's also the tree from Waterworld that you can pee on. But I like the idea of those leg braces. It's like, you know, you know, if you do, if you do like a bull ringer, you might go fly across the, the space station, you know? So um, whatever. Anyway, that, yeah, $19 million for a space toilet. See, I imagine it would just open up like uh, the doors in Alien. <laughs> <laughs> you have three minutes out. to get to minimum safe distance. You know, whatever. Anyway. Yeah, just like, you know, whatever. Yeah, I Pooping like in space is hard. <laughs> it would be, right? Um, there's dark matter out here. Like, yeah, anyway. So, all right. Uh, all right, what's the next one here? Um, all right, got three more. Um, and these are all ridiculous. In the film Dumb and Dumber, what was the name of the laxative that Lloyd gives Harry? 
Oh my god. Was it Megalax? Turbolax? Colon blow? Or I be pooping? <laughs> so I know Colon Blow is a Saturday Night Live skit with Phil Hartman. Yep. So uh, we're going to eliminate that one right away. And for those of you who don't know what Colon Blow is, I would recommend uh, going to the YouTubes and checking I it out. I thought that would be a good uh, tricky name, though, for this because it really is a Colon Blow. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say Turbolax. That's it correct. It sounds like TurboTax. It's Turbolax. I, but I thought Ivy Poopin' would be funny. So I just read that. <laughs> All right. So. Um, <laughs> Where did Hitler's toilet end up? All right. So like this, this is a question and I'll explain the story in a second, but this is a legitimate question. Where did Hitler's toilet end up? Was it, um, a toilet museum in Minnesota, a repair shop in New Jersey, a synagogue in Brooklyn, it went missing in South America. I'm going to say it went missing in South America, but a synagogue uh, sounds like it might back actually be the, the the apropos place for it. We'll put it that way. I just like the idea that a Nazi toilet ended up missing in South America with a lot, with the rest of them. They like, went into hiding, but that's not like, so it's not true. And the synagogue in Brooklyn, I thought was appropriate, but not true. A repair shop in New Jersey. So what happened was he, Hitler had a yacht that ended up getting scrapped and it ended up in a scrapyard in like a New Jersey and they used the sink and the toilet for this repair shop. So there is a Hitler toilet somewhere out there in New Jersey. That's so weird that that would end up there. Like how do you like figure out the provenance of something like that? You know, like we, we trace this toilet back to Hitler. Well, but they tra- like, they trace the yacht and like what happened to it. Right. So I'm sure, Whatever. I mean, you'll yeah. have to pun the, the the or you'll have to pardon the shitty pun. Uh, and I, when I say shitty pun, I really mean it. Um, you know, but like it feels like that should be like a you know a B movie, like the thing that came from Hitler's toilet. Yeah. It's in New Jersey, right? So yeah, I just, the Golgothan from the Golgothan the Kevin Smith, <laughs> uh, dogma film. Yeah, uh, it came from Hitler's toilet. Yeah. Um, it came from Hitler's toilet. That should be the film. All right. All right. Last question here. The largest public toilet complex is in China. It has over 1000 toilets and urinals. What is its name? Is it the porcelain palace, the throne dome, number one destination or splash mountain? (laughs) So here, here's my first question. All right, I'm trying to even get it out. I'm like, who is going? A lot of people, evidently. It's one thousand toilets and urinals, you know. To be fair, they're all going. It's it's uh, it's like the old joke. uh, Do you know how many people are buried in that cemetery? All of them. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but uh, I just. I, I can't imagine there being a place where like there would be a necessity for that many toilets. Like, all right, let's say we pick, um, say the, um, uh, the Cleveland Browns stadium, uh, off top of your head, how many toilets would you say are there? Enough. Not enough. That's not true. Not, not enough. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, I, well, I think you're misunderstanding. Like this is a place that's collected like different kinds. It's like, it's almost like a museum. Um, oh, so it's not like an active place. Like I, a, I mean, I'm going to guess they have bathrooms that you can use. Cause if you're going to look at all those toilets, you probably feel like you have to go. Um, and I know there's a toilet museum somewhere in America because why not? 
Uh, and like, I looked up the world's largest toilet somewhere in Indiana. Does not surprise me, you know, whatever. Okay. Um, can you refresh my memory on yeah. the answers now? Cause I got lost in the, yeah. the, the, uh, yeah, and the minutia of uh, the minutia, this, yeah, 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 of it. Uh, so, what is the name of this largest largest public toilet complex in China? Is it the Porcelain Palace, the Throne Dome, Number One Destination, or Splash Mountain? It's got to be Number One Destination. <laughs> why? Why do you think that's the name? I mean, Throne Dome is amazing, and. Uh, the, uh, porcelain palace, we all know, uh, but I feel like that's more of an American, uh, you know, turn of, uh, phrase. So number one destination just feels, it feels like something that would be both clever and sly, but at the same time, uh, actually describes where you're going, but not splash mountain. (laughs) Well, splash mountain. I mean, come on. I can't tell you how proud I was of myself uh, the last couple of days that a, I wrote that and B that I've not posted on social media that I spent part of my weekend looking up different facts about toilets. Like I had to, <laughs> I had to like hold back, like talking about that. Like, cause I didn't want to tip you off to what we were going to talk about tonight. Uh, so you said the number one destination you sir are wrong. Uh, <gasps> yeah, no, it is the porcelain palace. Really? I I was proud of myself for number one destination because it feels like that would be like a poorly like translated name for something. Yeah, I guess that's fair. Yeah, yeah. So we all know that I go for the lowest common denominator. Nah, you didn't go for Splash Mountain, so I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, that's gonna that's gonna do it for our toilet day quiz, um, which I just knew. I, you know, I figured you'd enjoy that. So uh, enjoy the go, as those bears say. So, all right, that's going to do it for our episode this week. Next week, we're going to uh, dive into our year of animation. Um, it is a Thanksgiving week, so we decided to pick something that's a little kind of appropriate. And then once I tell Steve who's part of the cast, it's going to get really complicated. We're going to be looking at... <laughs> Uh, Chicken Run. It's the it's the claymation film from 2000. It's available to watch for four dollars on YouTube and other places as well. Um, Mel Gibson is in this. <laughs> so I never, you know, I you know, I'm, I'm sure we'd have a Mel Gibson conversation at some point, but not in the context of an, a claymation chicken movie. But that's, that's where we are. <laughs> so that's that's gonna happen that's gonna happen right so all right we're gonna be talking about chicken run Uh, i figure that's appropriate for the holiday where we eat a large bird and these are chickens that don't want to be eaten uh, by people so and we've not really done this we've done stop motion with paranormal but we've not done claymation so this will be fun we haven't done mel gibson i'm like well we did do thunderdome so that's true you're right yeah so we did do that so that's gonna be next week Everybody have a safe week. Have a good week. Um, wear a goddamn mask. And I don't know. You don't have to go out and like party and things, I guess. Just whatever. But I mean, like like ghosts, you know, ghosts are out there. But like, you know, like you don't have to. I guess you don't have to wear a mask around a ghost. But um, I got nothing. I got nothing funny here. We're, we're already, we talked about toilets. We just talked about Mel Gibson. I'm done. My, my brain's broken right now. I bid you all good well and a hearty toilet flush to you all. <laughs>